Cocoa Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Alan Huffman, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, Tom Heron, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encouraged, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS 80 Color Baseball. And you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Coco Talk, episode 211. That's right, this one goes to 11. We're here to rock your 8-bit world. Are you ready? Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. All right, we are here, and yes, history has been made. We actually pressed the button like a minute or two early, just <coughs> just because we were already here. The people who are making up the show are already here for the show, so why not just start the show? And even before we started the show, Kevin Holloway was one of the first people out there in the live stream saying, hey, is there anybody out there? And then we were then joined by Frodo, and then... Mark O on Twitch, and Kevin Holloway is out there, and Nick Morata is out there, Daddy Burrito is out there, Dave and Sharon, that's Mr. Dave, and Tom Gunn says, all hail Coco, the mother of dragons, and Karen, one of our newest uh, patrons, thanks for becoming a patron, Karen, author of Exror is out there, Mark Overholzer, Ken Reichert is out there, we've got uh, all kinds of people. And it's Saturday, so you know what time it is. David Craker on uh, on Facebook. Um, you know what time it is. It is time to press the button and say goodnight, everybody. All right, so we're back for episode 212. Uh, 
We got a great panel for you in store today, folks. We have one of the most handsome men in retro, none other than Ron Delvaux. And by the way, uh, this is the Mark episode. You notice that just about everybody has the name Mark in front of them because it was noticed that this show was a little Mark heavy. So we're going full on Mark today. So okay. Mark, Mark Ron Delvaux is here. How you doing, uh, Mark Ron? Hey, um, pretty good. But um, I want to ask you, pretty soon yeah, uh, you guys announced the patrons and we're going like 12, 13 minutes on patrons. Uh, <laughs> do you have like an Aston Martin now? or um, Yes. But I'm, know, listen, what, I'm no Nick Morentes. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> it all goes into uh, your, getting your hair and nails done, uh, Mark Rondovo. So, okay. uh, <laughs> I haven't gotten my check, by the way. <laughs> Speaking of Marks, uh, Mark D. Overholzer, our resident Apple guy, poster of the Links of News, is here. Hey, Mark D. Overholzer. Hey, yeah, and I'm a Mark, and I come by that naturally. Yes, you do. Mark Allen Murphy is here. Hey, Mark Allen. Howdy, howdy. Welcome to the program, Mark Allen. We've just been joined by Mark L. Curtis Boyle. Hey, Mark L. How you doing? Marky Mark. Yes. Mark John Lowry is here. Hey, Mark John. Hey, everybody. Mark Sloopy's here. Hey, Mark Sloopy. And Greetings. Mark Patrick Euland is here. Hey, Mark Rick. How you doing? Howdy, folks. Uh, Mark Mark Bosley is here. Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. How you doing? <laughs> Our backup I'm a streamer. Genuine, genuine Mark. <laughs> genuine Mark. We got Mark Nick Murata here. How you doing, Mark Nick? I'm doing great, thank you. The name's so nice, we must say it thrice and it loses all cadence, but when I say Mark Nigrota, Mark Nigrota, Mark Nigrota, it just doesn't flow the same. Um, but we'll do the best we can. Have I missed any of the marks on the show? Am I on the mark or am I off the mark? I don't know. I am Mark Stevie Stroh, uh, Mark and Dave Sharon Verrier out there, Mark Kevin Holloway's out there, Mark 8-Bits in the basement is there. Um... We're here. Uh, Mark L. Curtis Boyle just mentioned that he posted the link, so if you guys need to grab the links to run the news, uh, we will do that. I believe we've got a video from uh, Mark Samuel Gimes in a little bit, a new Coco Thoughts. Uh, Mark Mikey uh, is here. Uh, it's the Mark Show. Uh, all right, so enough with the intro. So you know who we are. Nobody cares. Why don't we get to something good? Why don't we get to Mark Nick Murata's favorite part of the show where we get into oh, the yeah. game on results? And um, I believe we've got from Mark Samuel Gimes. Now, there is no Mark David Ladd right now, uh, Mark Kevin Holloway. We don't see him. Um, so how about we just play from Mark Samuel Gimes, the latest. Uh, Mark Frodo is out there, too. Hey. hey, Mark Frodo. Yeah, Mark Sloopy. Yes, I just wanted to interrupt... Uh, for one second, uh, yeah. speaking of David Ladd, um, in honor of him, I and knowing that he doesn't always drink the Diet Dr. Pepper, what I got a new uh, soda suggestion for him. What is that? Squirt. <laughs> All right. Well, we're just going to leave that one right there on the table. Uh, you can deal with squirt as you see appropriate. Mark L. Curtis Boyle's here. Mark Ken Reichert is here. All right, so let's see what uh, Mark Samuel Gimes has been up to with his latest Coco Thoughts. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. But you're blasting rocks, not stars. <laughs> Wow, that that was deep. That was deep. We're blasting rocks, 
Not stars. Can I okay. just say that uh, I'd like to put my stamp of approval on that one? Yeah. All right. Was it what? What did you like best? The music, the singing, or? I think it was in general it was short, sweet, and <laughs> sweet. Okay, there we go. Ron and Delvo stars. approves. <laughs> Being an astronomer. And, and astronomically correct. Yeah. Astronomically yeah. correct. Mark David Craker's out there. Uh, all right. So let's see what uh, Mark Murata's uh, favorite part of the show is here. High Score Challenge All right, and welcome back to the results of this week's Game On Challenge. The game was Star Blaster, and there were 18 participants, and the scores were... Coco Discord user, 3,630 points. Brian Weasler, 3,980. Henry Nonick, 4,250. Mr. Dave, 6309, 4,370. Nico, 4,880. David Craker, 8,880. Damon Beals, 9,030. Tom C, 13,010. Rich N, 13,700. Paul Shoemaker, 14,360. Canadian Retro Things, 14,540. Sloopy Malibu, 15,310. Low Level, 17,160. Rick Yu, 18,430. L. Curtis Boyle, 21,960. Buck Owens, 36,700. Karen, 48,710. And the number one score this week was... Tasman, with a whopping 104,860 points. Great job, Tasman, and thanks to everyone who participated. Woohoo, look at that. Not, Not one mark there. There was... <laughs> Not one. Mark Tasman got the best score, though. By a uh, long <laughs> shot. Yes, he did. Uh, it's almost like there was two different games being played there. <laughs> I know, right? So, so no one left their mark, I guess. Oh, well, hey, yeah. Stevie, can I share? You can share, Mark Murata. By all means, knock yeah. yourself out. All righty. So, yeah, uh, we had a good turnout, 18 people. That's pretty good. And, uh, yeah, Tasman, congratulations. He, he was, uh, he definitely figured out the, he, he was a big fan of Asteroids and in general, I believe. And he, uh, he uh, liked this version as well. Uh, this is Canadian Retro Things, submitted a video again. Thank you. Nice. Ken. Check out his channel, Canadian Retro Things, for retro stuff, including Coco and other platforms. Um, yeah, it was a mixed bag. Some people liked the game. Uh, some people weren't as enthralled with it. Uh, they, um, I will agree with some of the criticisms, like the joystick control. I liked using the joystick, but for some reason, you couldn't rotate all the way around with the joystick. Uh, From what I can tell, go- I think the position of the joystick, because yes. it's analog, is, yes. is which 64 degrees of rotation you're at. So you can't yes. keep wrapping around. You stop, and then you have to go all the way back. Exactly. Which is annoying. Whereas with the keyboard, it would rotate all the way around like you expected to. But I didn't like the keyboard uh, keys that they used. So for me, neither, neither, out, neither input was ideal for me. But I used the joystick because I much preferred the mechanics of it. I've never seen a pair way. of scissors shoot anything. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a hypodermic needle, but yeah, scissors. 
Yeah, it's a COVID thing. This is actually, you know, topical. <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing they didn't make the end of that round. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, the graphics are, aside from the fact your ship looks like scissors, I thought the graphics were, uh, were you know, pretty true, pretty uh, yeah. true to asteroids. And uh, this game looked really nice in the Coco 3 with um, black and white. Or just, yeah, on the RGB. Pure RGB, RGB. huh? Because yeah. it's a monochrome game, so it looked really nice uh, on the Coco 3, I thought. This one actually has an MC10 uh, conversion, too. I can't remember. Was it Darren Atkinson who did that one? But he actually ported this one to the lower res, uh, medium res mode, I guess, in the MC10. This looks Vectric. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it does look very Vectric. Your K game was a Vector game, too, so. And, and unlike bit, Ast- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Unlike Asteroids, this one had Shields, which was actually from Asteroids Deluxe, so okay. it had a bit of uh, bit of stuff from both games. Now, wouldn't this sound good with a music scene behind it? Yeah. So, yeah, good-looking game. Yeah. The keyboard controls are a little bit odd. Now, it's it's kind of lucky he did do it that way because, you know, if you change well, your keyboard out for some of the third-party keyboards or some keys moved around and or, you know, the Coco 3, the arrow keys all got jumbled into one thing, it actually plays a little bit easier than it would have. But at the time this was written in 1981, none of that had happened yet, so it was an odd choice for the time. What are yeah, the actual keys? DNF to, to, to rotate. D- yeah, DNF is left and right, rotate, right arrows, fire, left arrows, yeah. spacebar is um, shield. Interesting. Yeah. And the other one. Okay, it keeps it left is... and right hand, which is correct. I yeah. mean, that's yeah. how I would have done it too, but uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an odd choice to use DNF. I, I don't know. What, okay. What I would understand Z and X maybe. People, some people use Z and X for uh, rotating. Uh, I don't know. But obviously on the Coco 2, it would have been good to use arrow keys. Where do you board with a Z key? Sorry, that's a Canadian key. No, the, what the, the Z key is when you take the letter Z and you put a little line through the middle. That turns it into a Z. So, um, oh, yeah. D, DNF stands for don't finish. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good clone. It's actually I much preferred over the other clones we had, and we had a few like you know microbes, which was originally called uh, Color Meteoroids when Spectre sold it themselves. Uh, it doesn't play as well as this, to be honest, even with the odd key layout. Yeah, the gameplay itself is good. I, I did find out hunting doesn't work quite as well as here as I remember in the arcade. Now maybe that's just because I'm so it's been so long since I played any version of Asteroids. Maybe I just lost the touch. But the old hunting thing to get your score up, it didn't work for me on this one. You mean leaving one leaving one asteroid behind and yeah, one slow pitch? moving one that's going either almost straight vertical or straight horizontal, and then you just fly across screen so that the saucers can't home in on you, but you can just blast them as they keep appearing. And what was happening to you when you tried that? Well, they'd shoot they'd shoot me even when I was moving, so it, it didn't seem to be because oh, I know no. in the arcade game you you could keep that going up with Peterborough and infinitely if you if you were good at it. So Gimes nailed it. No stars. <laughs> no no That's star. even worse. There aren't even stars. You're right. Yeah. Not only are you not shooting stars, there are no stars. No. I think the star is supposed to be the player of the game. Mm. Uh, so and you're going to get blasted, so it's, it's accurate. Or you yeah. are blasting. Star of the game is blasting. Game. Star blaster. A touchy-feely game from the 80s. Yes. <laughs> I have a bit of gameplay from Tasman. He submitted a short clip of how fast the asteroids go. Oh, when, when you get, get to, to look at yeah, look at that score, 104 freaking thousand. So it's a very short clip, but here are the asteroids moving. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Oh, <laughs> look at those things. Ouch. 
<laughs> That's a little bit on the insane side, if you ask me. Yeah. And I did have one small asteroid that hardly moved. Maybe a pixel of step. I was ama- I've was i never seen one that slow in any asteroid-like game. Mm. Yeah, depending on the exact angle you shoot the asteroid and how close you are to it, I think is what it derives it from. You, you I had once or twice up, where it got pretty close. You end up affecting its like inertia and stuff, depending yeah. on how you hit it, right? So It's neat that there's pieces and parts. Yeah. Yeah, it does look better. It does look better RGB without the artifacting, where you can just see all the yeah, because like the little tiny dust particles when it explodes look kind of cool. Yeah, this is Kieran's uh, video. Thank you, Kieran. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Kieran. and Kieran did really well too. So this must have been a popular. Yes, game. yes. Yeah, this That's is right. a long one. I won't show it. All, Mark, obviously, Mark yeah, Kieran. Yeah, Mark Kieran. Mark Kieran Anscombe. Yes. Yeah. Author of Mark Roar. Um, <laughs> I thought it was X Mark, but okay. X Mark, yeah. X Mark, X Mark to spot roar. Um, so, so the interesting bit of trivia in this game, which I mentioned last week, but for those who didn't catch last week's episode, I'll well repeat it here: is this was uh, released in 1981 by Microworks, which was not known for games. This is the only game they sold, as far as I know. They usually sold assemblers and stuff. In fact, one of the better ones. Um, but this one was actually sold on cartridge for thirty nine ninety five US back in nineteen eighty one eighty two type thing. So this is uh, one of the very few third party carts at the time. I think Antico did a few. The Dragon oh, wow. had quite a few. Yeah, we're done. Yeah. third party. I'm noticing that the world that. is black. The world is white. I'm noticing. Are you gonna be saying for the next Samuel yeah. Dimes episode? Karen, Karen is yeah. like on the spot with that shield too. Was there a number? Was there any limitation to how often you could shield? Yeah. Or yeah, the number in the upper left corner is how many seconds left on your shield, basically. The longer so, you hold it down, of okay. Course so there's up. a four and a two. Okay, and that four is so turned the, to a three. So that first number is how many shields you have. Yeah, yeah. And the second one is how many ships left. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. But yeah, his but timing yeah, on that shield was like impeccable. Yeah. Also, Kieran plays it a lot differently than most people I see, where he's actually actively flying around a lot. Most people yeah. kind of stick in the middle and yeah. you know, move if they have to type thing. Yeah, yeah this one really rewarded flying around. You I'm can... going to sleep now. <laughs> <laughs> good, good night, uh, Mark Ryan. <laughs> okay. Uh, cool. It's another space game. You should about, like it, Ron. Oh, sorry? About, I was going to say one little interesting fact about asteroids. Being a, a vector scan game, there's no graphics. The whole program is like inside four kilobytes. Wow. It's all math. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's all, all line these points, points. Yeah. huh? And the logic too, but it's, it's not. There's not it's much. Mark math. Logic. It's Mark math. Yes. Now we did do one cheat in here compared to the arcade, which I don't know if you guys have noticed. It's it's a bit subtle, but um, in the original arcade game, the asteroids spin. On yeah. this one, they don't. Except your ship, of course. Well, that's probably no how you easier. shoot them. They just, yes. Yeah, there's a lot of those calculations, yeah. especially to keep the speed up like we saw in Tasman's video with yeah. this many. Because you get more asteroids every wave, too. I think you start in five big ones and six and seven and eight, and the speed starts increasing. And once you blast those big eight ones into a bunch of small ones, you can potentially have a lot of stuff moving on the screen. So yeah. I don't think you wanted the extra, you know, having to figure they out. They should have called this game Asteroid Belt. It would be more appropriate. <laughs> Maybe well, the original close. arcade game was called Asteroids, so... Yeah. Yeah, maybe a little too close to Mark. And that one down there is moving really slow. You see it. Like its yeah. trajectory yeah. is like just crawling. That's the ones I like to use when I'm hunting. Yeah. When I was trying that technique. But like I said, they did oh, seem oh, to be able to track me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I had key repeat too, which I don't believe the arcade game had. Yeah, it only shot four at a time, but that's still. 
Yeah, there were okay. times where I actually I didn't use the key repeat. I actually would let go and start tapping it because I wanted to space my shots because I wanted you get that burst and then you have this blank space where the asteroid can sneak in and yeah. crush you like a grape. Hmm. Oh, Karen is saying the original asteroids didn't spin either. Maybe that was asteroids deluxe. I, I honestly I don't remember uh, yeah, it because did. did it? When I, you shot them, it definitely. I'm pretty sure. Well, they broke in half when you shot them. But did they rotate? Yeah, but didn't the arcade they, they spun too? Like the vector spun as they went, didn't it? I don't know. I'm pretty I'm not sure. sure. I can't remember. Somebody's gonna have to. It was asteroid deluxe where they were spinning. Yeah. I'll have to check that. Actually, I thought I thought the original asteroids did because I didn't play deluxe too much. We didn't have it up here. Hmm, I'll have to check. Uh, I had an opportunity to buy an Asteroids Deluxe machine for 100 bucks at one point. I just didn't have the 100 bucks. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd own it till this day. Well, was there an official Asteroids for the Vectrix, which is like a, a cousin of the Coco with a 6809, but actually has a vector display like the original Arcade game did? No, it came with Mindstorm built in, which yeah. is, um, yeah. a, well, it's a very Asteroids like. But you end up with a minesweeper that lays different kinds of mines. Some just kind of grow and move around like the asteroids. Others actually will track you down on the screen regardless. And, uh, yeah, so it, but it's built in game. So, yeah, every Vectrex has asteroids clone kind of thing in it. There was a bug in that one, though, that if you got over 13 waves, the game would crash. And so they didn't think anyone would ever get there. No big deal. People started reporting the problem. They ended up releasing Mindstorm 2, which <laughs> includes the fix for the bug crash. And those cartridges you only got if you mailed into GCE and said you crashed the Mindstorm in your machine. So the Mindstorm 2 ROMs are out there. GCE released the, the rights to all their ROMs for everybody to have and play for non-commercial purposes. So the Mindstorm 2 ROM is out there, and that's the one to play if you're really going to go hard at it all right so a correction now karen is right i just went and checked the video the original 1979 asteroids did not spin the asteroids it was yeah, it is deluxe i was thinking of so okay yeah. interesting i did just check that too i have a model of the ship right here <laughs> it's got the scissors <laughs> around <it's got> <laughs> i'm shooting now, I, I, wow. So the the original Atari Asteroids is one of the first arcade games I ever remember seeing. That and Lunar Lander, and these were some of the games that just sparked my fascination and obsession with video games and graphics and sound and animation and stuff. You know, it's just like seeing these. It's hard to imagine that there was a time when nobody had really seen a video game before. Nobody had seen computer screens and seen graphics and sound and stuff. Um, and I just remember being like at a bowling alley or a convenience store or something and seeing these games. And I was, you know, maybe 10, 12 years old or something and just being like, oh, my God, this is, you know, the future is here. This is this is amazing. Um, I guess I got lucky because, I mean, Asteroids for me was probably a couple years in from when I saw my first games. Because I, I saw like the original Space War from 77, mm, no. Outlaw, Atari Football, you know, like the mid 70s, you know, black and white style um, games. And then Asteroids was actually after Space Invaders, wasn't it? It's it Kong that turned me off, basically. Breakout was the first game I had seen. I'm trying I'm to Space Invaders. Breakout, uh, uh, Sub Hunt. Yeah, I think this is one of the first upright arcade cabinets I'd seen. Like, I don't know if maybe I saw a Pong machine, an old black and white Pong machine at home or something like that, but I remember this is one of the, the first 
real arcade machines that I'd ever seen. Yeah, Pong I never saw in the arcade. It was it was long gone by the time arcade yeah. started hitting up here. But um, um, Space War from seventy seven, I remember seeing that was the one that floored me. I mean, it's a vector game too. It's a very similar graphics actually. Yeah, Space there's Invaders no, was one of the early there's ones. Nothing right? like seeing a Pong game. Yeah. Where the screen's burned in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a good it's like one. the home shopping channel in a bar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Space Invaders was one of the early ones, right? Yeah, 78. Yeah, that's one. I think that was the first game I Asteroids ever played. was 79. Sp- Space War, the which is a, a, a sequel or variation of Computer Space, the original 71 game that Nolan Bushnell did, the very first commercial game, even before Pong, um, came out in 77 Cinematronics, I think. And that was a two-player only game basically but it was and you paid by you paid for every minute and a half of play you didn't you wow. didn't like last right. or try to last as long you had to just keep bumping in quarters which game was, was that space war i remember that when the, the the cabinet was like six feet wide so yeah. the two players stood side yep. by side and yeah. Yeah. no joysticks it was all keys you know to rotate and stuff just like this but you you get to select parts of the game at the beginning too like, you know, do you want the central star to have gravity or not? Like, you got to customize the game when you were playing it, too, which is yeah. cool for an arcade game. But it was very expensive to play, considering it costs a buck, you know, a quarter every minute and a half, irregardless of how good or bad of a player you were. Right. Regardless. Yeah. Love it. Uh. And there's a version of that, roughly, for the Coco, too. We saw one that we've actually featured here that just got released recently, which is a port of the original MIT one from 61 from the PDP. But there was also a Spectral did one called, uh, I think it was called Space War, wasn't it? It was a little bit different, but it was it was based loosely on it. It had a little Death Star thing in the center with a rotating shield around you to shoot through too. It was a black hole. I actually posted a link to a video of it. Hmm. With a gravitational force. Very cool. But Asteroids, I think, is the first hugely popular vector game that I yeah. know. Of, or by no, far. You mean Asteroids? Because Space Invaders was not. No, that was team. Yeah, and Lunar Lander was was impressive too for the time. Um, yeah. oh, the yeah. whole gravity and thrusting, and then how you started off small, and then how it kind of zoomed in as you got closer to the landing spot. It was, and it was like as a young kid who, you know, with no previous experience playing video games, that just seemed damn near impossible. It's like, what the hell am I doing here? Pressing these buttons, trying to thrust and slow down. And it's like. <laughs> Yeah, so essentially the same hardware. Right, range. Yeah. But Nick, I guess the shots have limited range. It looks like uh, CRT yeah. should have been able to hit that asteroid. Right. And the shots fizzled out. Yeah, and they do wrap the screen if you're near the edge too, as is the saucers. Yeah. Seventy-nine was a good year for uh, you know first in the arcade though. It was uh, I mean seventy-nine was asteroids was the first really popular vector game. Mm. It was a huge hit for Atari, and of course Galaxian was the first color video game. So. Oh, was it? Yeah. Very cool. Is there anything right, else that needs to be said about this? Or are we ready to move on to the next It's a hard game. game. It's definitely not one you'll master too easily unless your name is Tasman, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Can't most marks do well? Yeah, most of the marks did well. Yeah, Mark Tasman did the best. It's just Tasman doing what Tasman does. Mm-hmm. Between him and Buck Owens, they're, uh, they're usually dominating the, the lists. I, I do have to say it was nice that the first real Coco version, because I think this one might have even came out before Spectral's version, actually introduced the shield from Asteroids Deluxe. So we had a, a more advanced one than most 8-bits at the time had. I mean, uh, definitely some Asteroids Deluxe clones came out on other machines afterwards, but uh, the Coco kind of just said, 
or, or Jim Kearney, the guy who wrote it, basically said, you know, Asteroids is pretty cool. It's already been out for a couple of years, though, in the arcade. So let's just throw in this extra shield thing from the deluxe game that you know, most home machines don't have. Well, Asteroids had the hyperspace instead. The warp, yeah. 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 Which you could Which, warp right into a rock, possibly. Yeah, so you're taking a chance. Right. Yeah. I prefer the shield myself. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. And then Sixty's saying, I did notice you can't shoot the spaceships if they're straddling the top and bottom of the screen. So they have like a little, I guess there's a little safety zone that they could be um, in where they I guess the collision detection wouldn't read. Yeah. yeah oh, does that work fair. for the player too? Can you not get hit yourself if you're straddling? Mm. <laughs> I wonder. That'd, that'd be I always wondered how the logic was done in asteroids. Like when, when there was a lot of rocks moving around and you got killed it would wait until there was a clear space, clear enough space around yeah. to put you in the center. Because otherwise, you know, they could put you in the center. Right, right. Just that, just to keep having a spawn kill, which would be completely frustrating. Yeah. And this one, at least you get to choose. You have to hit enter to respawn, so you can wait as long yeah. as you want. In fact, yeah. you can use that as a game pause if you want to. And I didn't like that. I, I should have been the, it should have been the fire button. I, actually, I disagree because with auto fire, that means you might be holding it down. You get killed, and you're instantly back on again when you didn't yeah, want to be. So true. Because a lot of people like, hold down the key, in which case you'd be you'd be spawned death right off the bat. My only problem, which someone else had too, was the space bar on my Coco isn't quite perfect, so I can't. Neither thumb was reliable to raise the shields. Mm. So <laughs> I would have to like move to the center of the keyboard so I could whack the space bar right in the middle. And by the time I did that, what's the point? So yeah. Proto's got an interesting bit of trivia here in the chat. <clears throat> he was wondering about how popular Lunar Lander was compared to Asteroids. There was about 5,000 machines sold of Lunar Landers versus over 70,000 of Asteroids. <laughs> oh, yeah. Slight difference. Was a lot Slight more, difference. Uh, you know, I, I never had prevalent. trouble with my space bar because I had a Mark Data. Oh, that was oh a beautiful Mark, <laughs> Mark Data, too. Yes. Okay. Yeah, um, but I... Lunar Lander is one of my favorite video games of all time. Mr. It. Dave is asking his Fortnite next week's game, the Coco 3 version. Yeah, go ahead and start playing <laughs> Fortnite. Yeah, I'm, I'm just waiting for Dave to finish porting it. So. <laughs> and make sure when you put Fortnite on a cartridge, it's got blinky lights, okay, Mr. Dave? He's waiting so. for, uh, for OS 9 to get done. <laughs> That's, That's why it's forever in beta. It's, it's never going to be done, and I always have an excuse. All right. All right. The all suspense right. is killing everyone here. All right. Mm. So next week's game is a is a request. Uh oh. A request by uh, Stevie. I think you'll know what this game is, Stevie. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Oh, I know that gallery. game. I know that Shooting game. Shooting gallery from James Garen. All right. I hope you didn't take that screenshot from my site, did you? Yeah. Why? I got to redo it because it's not showing all the artifact colors. Ah. That's got to be an older VCC version or something. Oh, yeah, I, t- I get all my screenshots from your site when, when they're there. <laughs> well, let me write that one down here because that's yeah, going to the, the bottom, like the owls kind of remind me of like PAL artifacting where you kind of get that pseudo yeah. color from the vertical stripes, you know. So you got to uh, be careful when you're shooting. Some things you have to shoot them in the right state. Otherwise, they add other uh, objects back. And uh, some objects will change the direction. Yeah, some will give got, you extra bullets. You, and you got some that give you extra bullets, but you basically you play until you run out of bullets. And, Who wrote this uh, one? James Guerin. This was DataSoft, uh, yeah. Steve Bjork's early company. Uh, and yeah, Mark Mark James Guerin. Yeah, that's the, the teddy bear. The bonus level. Yeah. In <laughs> so, the uh, in the arcade, 
in in the uh, carnival version in the arcade, you were shooting at those ducks, and every now and then the duck would fly down, and if you couldn't get him, he would start eating some of your bullets away from you too. So you, every now and then one of those oh, wow. ducks would dive bomb you, and if you didn't shoot the duck on his way down and he made it to the bottom, he would go across the bottom and start eating up some of your bullets. Um, this one doesn't have that, but the faces, uh, you have to shoot them when they're smiling. If you... Um, yep. If you shoot them when they're sad, they put another rabbit on the screen, I think. Yeah. Um, the row above the faces, which is the bullseye, when you shoot those, it changes the direction. It inverts the direction of the you know left and right that everything's going on. And yep. the diamonds, which are the hardest to hit, if you hit a diamond, it gives you extra bullets. Aha. Yeah. And those, those and, are and super hard to hit. And does your bullet slow down the further up it goes? That part I don't remember. I know I, remember I know the overall movement was based on the cycles and the more stuff you had on the screen, the slower everything was. So everything yes. got faster when you got fewer objects to animate, um, which is why when you were uh, shooting that teddy bear, he started to get really, really fast when he got in the middle of the screen. If you were lucky to shoot him twice or three times, because uh, he would like change directions and start running the other way every time you hit him. But he got to be so fast, you could never hit him hardly ever. Um which is that yeah. was kind of your bonus round, which clowns and balloons didn't really have a bonus round. It was just he kept catching. So this one had the bonus round, similar to the the tapper game, right? Beer Master. Yeah. Um, oh, that's an interesting idea. Uh, David Craker saying it would be interesting if somebody could hack this to use the Dicom the Dicom light gun adapter. Now that would be kind of cool, like a Nintendo style duck hunt where you're shooting wow. with your actual yeah, gun at them. Some- fair bit of reprogramming because the game's not designed for shooting at a particular spot on the screen yeah but the, that would be that really would be interesting, interesting. yeah not to mention tvs aren't crts anymore yeah, well, yeah. Listen, how that works. listen don't be a naysayer there mark john lowry okay <laughs> all right you're just raining I, thought I, heard was a, I thought i heard there was a gun that works with lcds there is one now yeah i've heard that too um now that would be a really cool idea it's this but, but thanks thanks for picking this one nick and, and thanks for pointing out that my screenshots are crap uh, oh, I didn't uh, say a word. You're the one yeah. doubting yourself. Well, no, uh, the, the thing is, sh- this is one of the games that really, really showed off the extra artifacting colors, the yellows, the purples, et cetera, like Sands of Egypt did, another data soft product. Yeah. But this is one of the early ones that really showed it off well. And this, this screenshot from the earlier versions of VCC does not do it justice at all. Okay. Or MAME or whatever it was. I don't think you were using VCC back in the day, Curtis. But and, and... Yeah, this far back... Uh, I don't remember. It would have been VCC one four three or an old version name. Because that because those oranges still look fairly orange. Like for VCC, the red and blues were a lot darker. You know, so this looks. Yeah, it could have been an early version of name then before they yeah. before they added Sockmaster's you know subtle algorithm. Yeah. That, you know, took the vertical and the horizontals into. Yeah. So, yeah, fun game. All right. Fun game. Early Tandy cartridge. Um, you know, it was one of the games that you could play and, and be proud to show your friends, you know, like some of the early, early, early cartridges were not the most impressive games in the world. Like some of the early Space Invader clones and Galaxian clones were just real repetitive, not very terribly impressive looking like the uh, Galactic Galact Attack and a few things like that. So some of those early Coco games, but also those things came out, you know, on 4K when the Coco was still in prototype mode. But by the time Datasoft got in the action and they were doing 16K cartridges, um, they were really starting to make the Coco something to be proud of, you know. Really All right, so thanks a lot for guys for participating, and thank you, Stevie, for letting me uh, do this part. And thanks for the great uh, score results videos you've been doing. Ah, well, and we got some comments on that. Uh, Karen did not like the improved production value. 
Uh, so I think the uh, period the, the period correct ones were, uh, were were more popular. Well, I'm just taking a little bit of a break from doing it. So Steve's helping me out, but we'll go back to those. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm trying to do something different each time. So maybe I'll yeah. do, maybe the next one, if I do another one, will be more period correct. I thought it was cool. I was I, I was, was going cool. for a kind of Star Trekky type font. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so. But yeah. So with All right. So thank you. Yes. See you next week. There we go. Nick's Nick's done. All right, everybody. So Nick's I'm ready done. to move on. Nick's <laughs> right. leaving the building. That's he's it. dropping the mic. All right, Mark. Oh, sorry, he's dropping the mark. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Nick Murata is done with all of these shenanigans. Um, so at this point, I guess we're just going to press the button. Good night, everybody. Uh, we right, do have uh, we do have game on news, and we have news news, and we might even have updates and acquisitions. Who knows? So we'll just keep the train. Well, wreck I was going to ask rolling. you about that. I joined late, so unfortunately I didn't get to. You know, take part in the pre-show discussion, but because we've been, we've been kind of dropping the you know the updates and stuff, and you know, sloughing some of that stuff off, is there some people that want to get some stuff that we can make sure we can actually get on the show for a change? Uh, I remember Brian Weasler throwing something out saying he he would be he could join us later. So maybe if Brian Weasler does get on, um, uh, does anybody okay. else here have anything they wanted to update? Any show and tell projects to share, stories to share? Yeah, I've got a quickie for. Uh, all right, so if you want to go ahead and, and do that, Rick. We'll give you the floor. Uh, no, oh, okay. no pressure. But um, <laughs> let me uh, steal the screen if I mm-hmm. may. And okay, click the share button and maybe it'll work. Model okay, so back, huh? <laughs> last uh, <laughs> a while back, I showed this this Tandy hard disk controller, and uh, from the outside, it looks like any other Tandy product, but. Uh, Weas- Mr. Weasler was asking me about it, so I had a look inside, and uh, <laughs> kind of interesting. <laughs> what what was, is there? It, it's actually a host adapter, so that the controller, which is actually in the Tandy hard drive case, can be connected to the Coco. But the thing I'm noticing interesting about this is it was designed with a ruler and sticky decals, decals, if you want to call it that. I can tell by these little tra- between-track things. The stick-on IC pads all had that on them. So this was actually drawn in Fort Worth in some guy's engineering room. Wow. It's like homemade. By hand. Homemade, exactly. It was hand-soldered, and they didn't clean the solder off. Wow. So. Uh, and that's the way Tandy sold it. Wow. Yeah, that's what they sold. Well, you know, it had shield, a piece of silver cardboard tape on the bottom but yeah you'd never guess it from in here they've hidden everything yeah to make it look very nicely done but yeah it's some guy with a ruler and some stick on tape uh, made this thing i would have to guess then that means they did even they didn't think it was going to sell because their hard drives that the only hard drives they sold that hooked up to this thing were hugely expensive exactly thousands and 30 megabytes was the big one (laughs) and the outer casing that thing was just their stock one that they hacked yeah, it's kind of funny. It has plastic screws holding it together and a couple other things. Well, plastic um, screws. Wow. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tandy's even cheaper than normal. Wow. Here, here it is. Is there any expense? No. Plastic screws holding the top and bottom together because it didn't snap together. So anyway, I figured if they can do it, I can do it too. <laughs> so I got all uh, got all big Clive on it and made a wee doodle. And uh, I'm running it through KeyCAD. So if anyone wants to try to plug one of these big old Tandy drives in, I'll have a gizmo to do that. And that, that and was a sassy drive, wasn't it? I believe it was, but this interface doesn't match anything in the world. In particular, the ground and VCCs in the middle here are wrong. 
So if you tried to... It's not SCSI. It's not SCSI. It's not SASE. This is just a weird connect. Well, I don't know what it really is because this is a weird connector, so it doesn't match any pin out. Um, mm. Like I say, I these two shouldn't be ground. I think the ground... Uh, yeah, it's hard hard to say what's. Oh, in the there. drives MFM. That's just the recording technology. I, I, I'm, the interface, I think, was SASE or based on SASE, if I remember. Right, and then the host adapter was just a, a whole nother thing. So the the deal was host adapter, cable to the controller proper, then cables to the hard drive, and the controller and the hard drive were in the candy case. And, and that's those big just, black monsters that you actually had on your shelf at one time, didn't you? Exactly. That I, I pulled out a couple weeks ago to show I had four of the dang things so uh <laughs> wow you must have been rich back then <laughs> no these these were all donations a local doctor had his business running on a cocoa wow believe it, on tandy hard drive so i have a bunch of very obsolete medical records and uh anyway so <laughs> there's a cure the there's a cure for something hidden in there <laughs> and it might, might be the cure for covid man you never know man fire those puppies up <laughs> and, and here i thought i had the last one in existence <laughs> Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a whole bunch of them in little rompack cases, I guess. Um, so yeah, I'm halfway through a keycad sketch because it's all just stick tags on everything now. You don't have to draw any lines anymore. So uh, hopefully, I will. Uh, Essentially, I will it's a parallel to. port. It, it's well, it's it's does a couple of things, but yeah, it's it's just kind of a adapting the Coco's bus to this proprietary Tandy thing. They also had one for the Model One and the the their PC clone and. Um, interesting. So, so this is quite literally glue logic. I mean, quite literally. <laughs> yeah, it's it's well, like Burke and Burke did the same thing, except yep. host adapter mentioned. went to a WD thousand two with a with an XT yeah. bus on one side of it. Yeah, so uh, it was a pretty popular. And then of course in IDE they moved the controller onto the drive physically, and no computer has a drive controller anymore. They just have a host interface to the IDE drive. Or, you know, then SATA now and all of that. But in any case, um, that's what I've been playing with this morning because my brain is burned out on staring at code. So I <laughs> draw something. Yeah, cool there there was a time when yeah, I remember back in the days of early PC stuff where you had was like the MFM drives. You had two cables. One was control and one was data, right? So you your controller actually was controlling stuff. Um, and yeah, that's what the Burke and Burke used. Yeah, and then you yeah. bought a new drive and found out, oh, this is an RLL drive, and now I have to find a new controller for my old computer because the old yep. controller won't work with this drive. And so, yeah. And those yep. were the days. That's what I do with the Berg and Berg. Myself, I had an RLL on there that I had mixed up a controller versus the drive, oh. and I didn't get a different one. Uh, I was too poor to own a hard drive back in those days. Yeah. I think the first hard drive I got was from my Tandy 1000. It was a hard card. Where it was a full length, you know, controller card and hard drive on a you know full length uh, thing that went into an ISA slot, um, twenty megabyte hard card in my Tandy one thousand. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny because the Coco actually we had hard drives pretty early on for an eight bit. I mean, we had the Tandy one, we had the you know, Canton did the SCSI one. There were SASE ones from people like Disto and Frank Hogg and and others, but they're all very expensive. The drives are expensive. The controllers are hundreds of dollars. And the first one that really took off and started making it popular was the Burke and Burke because it used cheap off the shelf, you know, PC. You just got the little, you know, card itself and the drive, and you just it plugged into the XT controller or XT adapter, as, as Rick said, from Burke and Burke, and then you could use these cheap drives. So the prices of hard drives literally overnight dropped in half. 
Exactly. My first was a 225 that you had to run upside down because I took it out of an old dead XT and it was tired of running right side up. <laughs> <laughs> the weight of all the cast iron uh, uh, platters were just, <laughs> the motor yeah. couldn't turn them anymore. <laughs> Those things were, you drop a freaking hard drive on your foot, besides killing the drive, you're killing your foot and putting a crater in your floor at the same time. <laughs> Those things are wicked. Uh, Good as tough as a Nokia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I know we're kind of going out of order here, but did anybody else have something they wanted to talk about? Or maybe if, if... I just wanted to show something real quick. All right. Hold on. Let's spotlight Rondell Vo. Okay. And you're looking very, very handsome today, Mark Rondell well, Vo. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> can you see that? Uh, we can. Okay, my uh, cocoa pie works so well that when you have it in the Raspberry uh, Pi uh, side of Linux, it does um, <laughs> artifact colors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is, like that, that. is that um, that that's Facebook a picture of Facebook from your Raspberry yeah. Pi? Yes, and, ah. and it's got artifact colors. Ah, well, what screen are you running it on? Uh, it's a uh, Scepter. Um, TV, you know, LCD. Okay. Yeah, weird, huh? That is. Yep. The other question I'd have is, uh, has anybody put a cocoa in a dragon? Has anybody put a cocoa in a dragon? I know there's alternate ROMs you can get for the dragon that will run the dragon hardware from the uh, cocoa would, would probably fit in there. There's so much room, and the power supply would go in it, right? Do you think you might have to cut? There's there's a bit of a separation between the power supply section at the back and then the main part. So yeah. on the cocoa, that's all one board. So yeah. you might have to cut some of those or something off. Yeah. Right, start the clock and see how long it takes before a horde of dragon users with uh, pitchforks <laughs> and torches. <torture. laughs> also, the keyboard interface. I I don't know if it's the same or not. Yeah, this is a um, my my cocoa pie. I don't have a uh, cocoa three keyboard for it. Okay. But, um, I will someday. So you got a cocoa pie words. inside a cocoa yeah. case with a cocoa keyboard. Yeah, and uh, and it, you can type on it. And then when it's on, um, you know, the Linux part, when I go do some uh, Facebook on it, yeah, <laughs> they're typing on this keyboard, that which is... is just a little weird. Okay. <laughs> How is the interface um, from the from the cocoa keyboard? I got that from. Uh, is that the Paul Fiscarelli one? Yes, I think I have a picture down the here. Win, the wind. Yes. I have this keyboard here for the tab key so I can get the menu to come up. Because <laughs> <laughs> the code. No well, what you, what you can do, Ron, is you can, once you bring up MAME and go into UI settings, you could yeah. remap the menu key to a different key on your Coco keyboard. Yeah. Like but shit who, right or something. who wants to do work? Ah, okay. <laughs> Plus, I have this uh, keyboard. N- named as a Tandy. Yeah, you do. So tandy looks, sticker on there. It looks yeah. official. And so when I'm in the um, uh, Linux mode, I put this on top of the um, computer and I use that. Okay. Yeah. So, that's pretty I, cool. I do, find, I do find it ironic, too, that, uh, you know, the, the Cocoa had, you know, a much bigger motherboard and bigger power supply and all that stuff, but we didn't need a fan. No. No. No, you have to have one in this one. And every once in a while, it vibrates, right? And I'm, I'm thinking, Who's got a vacuum on? <laughs> that's it, guys. Thank you. Oh, that's cool. That is cool. That is a neat little uh, 
Different way to cocoa. How am I fixing my, here we go, there we go. Fixing the zoom stuff here. We've only been zooming for how long now? Mark, uh-oh, hold on, what the hell is Mark Mark Overholzer doing here? Hey, Marky Mark Overholzer, do you copy? You're muted. You're still muted. Do you have any crickets? Okay, so so I do. Yes, we do. Hey, there we go. Can't run the mouse with my left hand. Uh, <laughs> yes, I had. Mark Bosley sent me something. Okay. Are we going to do an on-the-air unboxing? Uh, uh -oh. It wouldn't be that exciting. Okay. Uh, just, but just a bunch of hard uh -oh. drives. Just a bunch of hard drives. Well, yeah. maybe once you get them all out of the box, you can hold them up and we can go, go ooh and ah. It's, it's an <laughs> ultimate J-Bod. Ah. <laughs> Now, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Day was asking a question, is there a dragon pie? And technically, you can boot up the dragon in uh, Cocoa yeah. Pie. It's one of the menus. You can do it through XROAR it or, or through MAME. So, yes, you can run dragon uh, emulation on the Cocoa Pie image. Um, okay. Couldn't, so, you, couldn't you use a dragon as donor parts for Pageboard? Dragon as donor parts for what? For Pedro's uh, uh, blank Cocoa 2 board. Oh, <laughs> donor parts. Uh, <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not making friends across the pond today, now, are we, folks? Uh, uh, <laughs> what are we talking about having a special dragon episode? Yeah, well, we haven't, uh, we haven't publicly <laughs> unveiled that yet, but yeah, that's, that's something. Movie coma. <laughs> oh yeah, when they're like harvesting parts from the sleeping yeah. patients. Yeah, that was that was a Michael yeah. Crichton. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a um, bunch of dragon tanking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. We're Pretty soon there's going to be Cocoa Talk hosts hanging from wires yeah. from the dragon people. We are <laughs> going to hell today, folks. Uh, <laughs> I, I refuse. I okay. Here. We just got uh, from Explore VR. He says, don't worry, we still like you. <laughs> and Sixty says, heresy, 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 right? <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. Um, if, if there are no other updates, and if updates come later, we can always go back to update mode. But do we want to move back to uh, Game On oh, News? Uh -oh, oh, 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 look at that. you zoom up? I'm going to zoom up on Mark, uh, Mark, Mark, Overholzer, Marky Mark. Uh, oh, you can see my packing job. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> well done. A lot well, of hard drives in there. Out of there. Are they all 20 megabyters? They all, they uh, are not that big. They're various. Let's see. This one is, so it looks like a 2,500, so two and a half gig, I think. No, 250. So are these all IDE drives, or are they a mix of? Well, we, mix. we can't see what you're looking at, Mark. I know you're looking at it to see what it is, but hold it up where we can see it, too. Okay. It's kind of nice. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's the box that's got the, the newer stuff in it. Okay. There's yeah, there's some... four, I, have, I have four boxes that have... Uh, Crikey. Eight drives each. Four boxes of hard drives. What wow. exactly are you doing with these drives? Yeah, focus. He's going to set up a cloud storage solution running on yeah. a uh, Raspberry Pi, and he'll be mining Bitcoins with it. He's uh, getting him out of cocoa for that. He's getting him out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mark's storage services. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so if any of you need some drives, I have them for reasonable price. Are you but that's why I was asking, like, what, what type of drives do you have there? Because I might be of some interest to people that still have some of the old controllers, but their old drives are dead if these still work. Like if there's old, uh, you know, XT-based um, ones or SCSI or whatever. There's some SCSI. I asked for all the SCSI ones and a bunch of the, uh, the bigger para, uh, uh, serial ATA and some of the parallel ATA. So he still has more drives. So. Sata, Pata, Scuzzy. Yeah, Are you going to make a, a music array? 
scuzzy. Yeah, sure. And make them sing for us. Oh, like the floppy tron thing where you can get all the noise. Yeah, going? only only yeah. do it with hard drives and do the William Tell Overture yeah. or something. Oh, here's a two and a half inch IBM. There's nothing like the sound of a hard drive stepping motor that can't quite turn the platters, and you hear that. Another sound is the sound of a hard drive in the wrapper. Right, in the wrapper. Yeah, it's almost as yeah, annoying as Mark's keyboard. Yeah, so. <laughs> so There's some excitement in getting a new hard drive in the mail, you know, and opening it up, and it has the wrapper. Yeah. So some of those some of those uh, little two-inch drives are uh, down in the, uh, like, two-gig range. Yeah. Yeah. I always use, Six when, gig range. whenever I'm working on somebody's PC and for my day job, I always use the fact that if I can hear your hard drive, it's probably time to replace it, you know, because you really yeah. shouldn't. You shouldn't hear the data flowing off the platter. When you can hear the platters, there's something wrong with that hard drive, and that's that's when that's that's when it's time to throw an SSD in there. <laughs> uh, Rick mentioned that ST225. There was no mistaking when that thing was on. So it sounds like a jet engine as it spins up. Right, and, and, and there was better. such a there was such a gyroscopic feeling to it too when you shut them down if you held it in your hand you could you know you could feel the universe yeah, <laughs> as it spun we, around and stuff. <laughs> we used to carry offsite backups on two terabyte drives the early two terabyte drives so that's that like the, hold that up hold that up again marco that's that's the old uh, that's that's an ide m mini 40 pin yeah. connector yeah yeah it looks like a 10 gig yeah, so so like if you've got an older laptop and you needed an IDE hard drive, that's what you need there. Um, or if you and, had the IDE exactly. interface from Glenn's side because it'll yeah, work on there. Yeah. I had a 20, 20 gig Samsung on my uh, Google for a while on that one. And a source for that is I had a friend who worked on uh, copy machines. And so some of the older like office copiers still had the 40-pin mini uh, laptop size IDE hard drives in them. So uh, if you know anybody who works for a printer or a copier company, they got some older models. That, that might be a source to get some of those drives. And it's like anything else. When you know when they don't make things anymore, and you find you're in that situation, I need this one oddball drive for this one thing. You know, it's worth its weight in gold when you don't have it and you need it. Yeah. Now I, I don't need this many myself, but I was uh, yeah. taking off Mark V's hand. If yeah. If you need something, ask me. Got a ton of yeah, 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 yeah. L like I've still got probably maybe a half a dozen um, 40 pin IDE hard drives, you know, in a box somewhere just mm -hmm. for a system, a retro system I might need to fire up one day. It's like I'm not going to throw these out. I'll probably never need them, but I'd rather have them and not need them, you know. So, yeah. uh, and for any Coco people that have picked up, you know, old systems or dug out their old systems and still have like IBM XT interfaces like the Burke and Burke or have a SCSI like Canton or have the ID controller from Glenn's side type thing. I mean, they they still work. The drivers are still out there. You can still... Right. Now, fact, I think John Linville's video player requires the ID, mm, if I remember. Now, I'm having a brain freeze because it's been so long since I've had to use one of those little IDE mini laptop hard drives. Does it still have a power connection, like a little mini Molex like you use on a floppy? Or it didn't get its power strictly from the 40-pin connector, right? Yeah, it it's did. It's a 44-pin, actually. Oh, it did. Those so, are actually a 44-pin. Okay, so the the mini laptop hard drives for IDE got their power from the cable. Yeah. That's those no, extra I four pins. Little, I actually have a little adapter that plugs into the 44-pin and then splits out a 40-pin and the power. Ah, okay, so you could retrofit one of those to fit in a PC. And yeah. In a regular PC. Yeah. Right, right. And I've got like a generic uh, uh, IDE to uh, USB adapters too, so if I needed to make one external, I've got a few of those. Uh, hold on, let's yeah. see what Rick's holding up there. 
Okay, Rick's got one of the adapters this, that adapts the lap. The uh, yeah, that, me... that's a desktop IDE and Molex to the forty-four pin laptop drive. Yeah, gotcha. Right. So yeah. the laptop is in yeah. the middle there. That's that small forty-four pin, and then there's your. Exactly. And you always knew that was the right way because you had that notch in the middle of the uh, 40 pin ribbon cable, right? You had the red stripe for pin one and you had the notch so you, you know, to prevent you from putting them in backwards. There's your four, your four pin Molex connector there. Yeah. And what have we got? We've got a jumper so we don't feed 12 volts to drives that would yeah. oh. if you yeah. fed it 12 volts. <laughs> have a meltdown. Handy little gizmo. Anyway, so Mark had these spare drives, and it's like, yeah, yeah I'm willing to give them a home and rehome them to people nice. who need them. You know, what yeah, well, welcome, welcome to storage talk, folks. Uh, <laughs> Ron, Ron was showing something too. Yeah, I have, I have a, uh, a a little drive enclosure that has a laptop, yeah, 60 mega uh, gigabyte. Uh -huh. With uh, it has to have these cables, and this cable has to have two that go into your machine, and then one into this. Yeah, well, I think it depends on the USB connector you have because some of the, like the USB 1.0s did not have enough voltage to provide power right. and data and stuff, so they had the double connector. But um, yeah, because I just recently had to buy a USB external um, optical drive to boot up a server because it didn't have one and I needed to boot up a Windows OS disk. And it came with the two connectors in case you needed it, but I guess newer USB ports have enough voltage where you don't need the second, so... Um, yeah, I had one like that too for uh, old hard drive enclosures for laptops to make them external and stuff. And what's cool is actually having it boot up, and then there's all kinds of old stuff in there you're going through. <laughs> oh, look at this! Here's some gold. Here's that, some that's kind of like what Rick you was saying. He's got all these old medical records, man. You never know what you're going to find. By the way, nowadays that would be a huge HIPAA violation for anybody familiar with the Health Insurance Privacy and Portability Act of 1999, also known as HIPAA. Uh, you know. Patient health information is sacred and should not ever be seen by anybody outside of the medical practice. But uh, Steve, how do you know about all this? Stuff? <laughs> I worked. I worked in hospitals for years. So. Oh, yeah. Um, Were you a candy striper? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, you got me speechless there. You got you made me speechless. Because you have to say yes. <laughs> you notice it was not an automatic no, right? No. So <laughs> Andy Stripey Red right now. Oh, my God. What am I going to do? That's, that's going to be a HIPAA violation by itself. There it is. Yeah. we got to go to news now. Oh, Lord. Oh. I had one other question for uh, Mark that shipped them to you. Were any of those drives that you shipped off to the other Mark, since we have so many Marks on the show today, were any of them originally on a Coco? Would there be some hidden Coco gems on any of those? Were they all the old PC drives that you pulled up? No, they're uh, they're uh, from PCs, but they've they've all been scrubbed. Ah. so there is nothing. Darn. on I, Well, we do have the we do have the Burke and Burke Corporation. Now we have the Mark and Mark Storage Network here. So uh, yeah. Mark B sending the Mark O. Uh, it's a Mark and Mark Storage Hotline. Oh <laughs> Lord! All right, will the fun ever start? Uh, okay, that's cool. That's a neat. Uh, Acquisition right there. Lots of storage. Uh, 
Oh, next week you're going to have the Rondelvo beard. Now, Lad, candy striper shirt on. <laughs> so we have watching us on Twitch right now, Lad underscore MD, which is by the way, this is Mark Siegel. So Mark Siegel from Radio Shack from Tandy's out there too. There's another Mark, a real Mark too. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, do we have more news? Uh, last call for updates for now. Any more updates, acquisitions, project updates, stories? Until the special Brian Weasler segment. Yes, until, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, we're gonna we're we're gonna do game on news, El Curtis. Sure, if that's what you want. Okay, the, you, we will, and we're just gonna we're no commercial breaks. We're just gonna keep the train rolling. So you oh, have no. you have the <laughs> Ron. If you have to go potty, you don't need a note. You don't need a hall pass. You don't have to raise your hand. Just get up and go. Well, <laughs> I don't need one either. So I'll just put up a screenshot and leave for a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So hey, Mark B, your packing job is excellent. Oh, thank you. Yeah, who was asking me? It was, uh, I think, Brian Lees was saying, have you ever shipped Cocos? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, what do you use to pack them in? I'm like, well, I usually buy so much crap. I always keep all the boxes and packing material from all the stuff I've bought in the past. So I've got a little mini you pack it, you ship it in my garage of boxes and bubble wrap and other stuff that I just I don't, I don't throw them out. So whenever I need to ship something, I just reuse. You recycle. <laughs> recycle, yeah. <laughs> all right, L. Curtis. Game on news. The world is waiting. Come on. Okie dokie. Or at least 39 people anyway, so. 39 people with no lives. That's it. There's no way to talk about our audience. (laughs) (laughs) We've already offended the dragon gods. Let's not not piss off the rest of our audience. And everybody named Mark, but anyway. (laughs) You do realize we don't have any lives either, otherwise. (laughs) Yeah. We don't even have any live viewers. They're all dead viewers. All right. <clears throat> okay, so first up, uh, Carlos Camacho put up this one. Now, this is a screenshot from an old NEC PC 6001 game. Now, the NEC was, uh, I think, a Z80-based system from Japan, if I remember correctly. That would be Z80, but yeah, you're probably correct. Yeah, I guess, yeah, in Japan it would be Z80, but yeah. uh, I'm trying to translate it for you Yanks. Right. Um, no, it's American. It's a Z80. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> it was made by the Z-Log Corporation, so. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So this one features some fish from the uh, the Zedu, the zoo. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so basically, this is a, a screenshot of a game. Now, we've been having some things about talking about mixing video modes or and or mixing the color sets of video modes. Because the VDG had a pretty limited palette and pretty limited you know selection of what colors you could pick. And, uh, you know, games like Dragonfire really use, you know, intricate timing to switch, you know, the scan line. Actually, multiple times on a scan line. But uh, Carlos put up this one was a screenshot of an old NEC game. I don't remember what the title of it was off the top of my head, but uh, it basically uses the, uh, the like pastel a... set on the left for your radar and your scoring yeah. and stuff. Okay. And then the, the the more earthy colors on the right, which is a kind of a neat mix. And then you're not having to switch as much, but it gives you some variety. Right. It kind of looks now like there's a cross no... between River Raid and Fishing to me. So. <laughs> yeah, I haven't sure actually seen the, the game going. in action, so I'm not sure that might even be accurate. I okay. Don't, I don't know. It even says right there, Excite Fishing. So that's what it says on the screen. So you actually are fishing. Okay. Oh, cool. Okay. Excite Fishing. And fishing is exciting. If you've never fished, you don't know excitement. Yeah. It's more right. exciting with lots of beer. But... <laughs> um, I'm sitting on a melting ice floe if you're ice fishing. But anyway. So the, the article says that this is doing some sort of vertical split. <clears throat> it may not have to be because the NEC PC6000 has the VDG wired up differently. And uh, its default is the semi-graphic 6 mode, except it actually has all nine colors. Unlike the Coco's Semi-Graphic 6, where you only get 
two colors out of each range. So this may be just a regular normal screen for the NEC. Yeah, that's any one thing I'd made a note about because I seem to remember the PC6000 did let you split the screen by color set modes and stuff too. Um, did it have to be on? Did it have to be on byte boundaries or anything like that? Or possibly because their memory map is a complete nightmare. So. Okay. <laughs> well, is it this the same mode? It's just the the color set that's being yeah, switched. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the whole. But the, the neck had extra hardware, so you can control that without having to do intricate timing trips by scan line. Because you'd literally have to change this color set twice every scan line to get this to work. Right. right. Not a cocoa, but I don't believe on the neck you had to go through all those hoops. I think some of that was built into the hardware, so you could just tell it, you know, fifty pixels in or whatever, an even byte boundary would be. This is where the color set changes, and you just tell the hardware, and it does it on its own. I think. Okay, that's my understanding. Is that what you understood too? Uh, Mark, well, it's thinking, Mark Allen Murphy. <clears throat> this might not actually need any of that. It may be just using nine colors in in the mode and having a good day with it because of the, so the the neck could change them on a byte by byte basis then. Yeah, the the memory map in the thing is completely different. Mark, so is it like a spectrum where it has like an attribute slash color set? <clears throat> part plane and then an actual pixel plane or something? And <clears throat> part of it was that they had to rewire the way the VDG works at all because they were doing all of the external ROM for the kanji to get the, the Japanese fonts and stuff. Oh, right, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, the it looks VDG because it is a VDG, but programming it and doing all the video stuff is almost completely different than on a Coco. Okay. Okay. Because it is an interesting way of doing the color set mix, and this is a this is a good demonstration of one. Like Dragonfire couldn't do too much moving graphics on the screen that uses split mode, which is that one where you're running in the castle, yeah, causeway yeah. there. <clears throat> and you'll notice on the one with a lot more moving stuff with the dragon shooting fireballs and stuff at you, you're running around collecting treasures. There is no color splitting on that one; right, it's right. just one mode. So it's very time intensive. But something on like this here is a little bit less. We're only doing it twice per scan line. And if you did it vertically, of course, then you wouldn't be using too much overhead CPU at all. Because you could literally just you know have your score radar on the top in one color set, even with artifacting colors for that matter. If you're running a composite and NTSC, Man. and then the gameplay can be in a completely different color set below it. Yeah, I'm gonna go take a look at that one and see what it's doing <clears throat> inside because that's cool. This is the same platform that your Nostromo game came from, right? Yes, yeah, that's right. So, yep. so Mark Allen Murphy is somewhat familiar with this system. Yeah, and it's also the current system that High Retro Game Lord, who went through a you know a series for about a year or two on Coco and Dragon games that we went through a couple of years back, and he's actually been doing the next PC thousand PC okay. six thousand and one machine lately too. Sixty's saying this is uh, definitely CSS switching. You could of course feed CSS from a wider data bus. Uh, there's still a delay before the CSS changes. All right, so we have different. Uh, Different schools of thought on, on what it's actually doing, but the point is what we're looking at on this picture here is possible to be done on a Coco with a VDG by just using some SAM tricks, right? Just by changing some of the modes at a certain timing interval. Uh, yeah. could, could be done. Not a Coco project, but it could be. I mean, we've seen that technique in Dragonfire. It's, it's, it's already proven yeah. to work. And that's actually more intense because that's yeah. changing it multiple yeah. times. And honestly, if you were just, you know, as much as we say, you know, if, if you've, we have the choice of, two palettes of four colors in our P modes, right? We've got the red, green, blue, yellow, and then the yellow, cyan, magenta, orange. And that combination of the yellow, cyan, magenta, orange, it's really hard to get good, eye-pleasing things to do with those colors when those are the only four colors you have. So my hat's off to the people who have done it. 
Um, but if you had all eight colors available in a, even a Capi Mode 3 type screen, you would really open up some possibilities on, on mixing things up, like being able to mix like the dark blue and the cyan and, and coming up with a medium shade blue, you know, doing some of the uh, dithering effects and stuff. Um, if they were legitimately all eight colors available in any of those modes, it would, it would really have expanded some of the you know, color palette possibilities to play with, you know? Yeah. And there's nothing limiting you. I mean, you can technically do this as well. Instead of just changing the color set, you can also change the mode. If it's the same mode with the same, you know, number of bytes for the screen, like say P mode four and a P mode three, you could switch and get your black and white or black and green in there too. Mm. And you'll know, have a certain part of the screen using that. So you can get the actual black mixed in depending on what, uh, what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Neat. Neat. Yeah, so I thought that was rather cool, and it's a rather good use of like you know, like you mentioned of, of extending the palette, and it's actually divided into the play screen and your score screen, which is a nice idea because. You know. Yeah, matter of fact, on this same system, James Guerin's version of Canyon Climber is using that um, on left hand color palette, where you know you still have the white border, uh, yeah. you've got the orange, it, and, and it looks surprisingly similar to the Coco version, and it looks surprisingly not annoying. Like when you look at Puyan, you know your eyes want to vomit, but um, <laughs> you look you looked at how they did um, Canyon Climber with just those four the higher the higher uh, attribute colors for Canyon Climber. He pulled it off pretty well. Yeah, um, well, I think of Puyan because we know the actual other color set would have so much closer match yeah, to arcade yeah, game. Yeah, it's like yeah. an abomination. Why did you pick that? When you had this available. Yeah, right. <laughs> Clearly, you knew there were another four colors, right? <laughs> you knew it, and you chose not to use it. <laughs> and, and four colors that match the arcade yeah, game. Yes. dark blue and red. And the uh, and I think Steve Bjork was saying that, because, you know, Steve worked with James Grind. I think he said James just loved that color screen and wanted to use it, you know? Yeah. So. I mean, it is appropriate for some games. Skiing would look terrible. Yes. Yeah, true. <laughs> Unless it was, you know, grass skiing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might, might have smoked a lot of grass to ski on it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next article. Now, next up, I was hoping Nick Morendi's would be on here to comment on this, but... Um, Rocky. I guess, I, I don't know what happened to him and why he didn't show up. But... Probably buying, so he's, he's, got... he's buying a new Ferrari. <laughs> Another two, maybe. Yeah. So anyway, he's got his fifth blog up for the upcoming Zero Hour game. So in this case, he's doing, and of course, his blog is based on the design aspects of the game, not programming tips and tricks type thing. Mm-hmm. So in this case, he's designing the title screen. He's designing the top score screen. He's designing the bomb countdown screen, which will be actually used in the game. And how he's incorporated it into you know, the main game screen where you actually select, because you all have elevators going up these poles here. Uh, you'll be able to select to go which door you want to go through, kind of like his Rupert Rhythm game, which is, you know, there's some some bases of Rupert in this one as well. And Rupert, of course, never was his favorite game, so this is his time to improve it and also you know, merge in some aspects of Donut Dilemma, some original stuff as well. But he kind of cycles through a couple of these. When the game starts, you'd have the title screen with the credits, and then you'd have the high score and flip back and forth. And I think the bomb countdown is actually during actual game play. And then he does a little bit more here, just kind of describing no, no nothing to show you, but with, you know other game controls, which is giving some, uh, you know how ways to find certain keys for special things like aborting a game and pausing the game and switching between RGB and composite. And as he's always said, you know RGB is definitely preferable, which I have to agree to too, because I mean composite is different on every t- old TCRT TV and composite monitor, depending on what the person set their hue and contrast and everything else to. So you don't have a fixed thing you're shooting for; you're shooting for something close. And you're not sure if it's going to be exactly right. Some people have their 
monitors adjusted more red, so there's more orange and light blue versus dark blue or green or something. So it's it's a crapshoot. Definitely pick RGB if you can. Yeah. So it's good to see that he's been making a lot of progress in the game. He's actually put up a what three or four blogs I think in the last month. So good on you, mate. Next up, uh, Fabrizio Caruso. I sure hope I pronounced that right. So he's a guy we've shown him uh, once or twice before. He does this universal cross-platform um, library system that's called CrossLib. And his goal is to make games that will run, and they're fairly simple games because of the way this has to work, that will run in like 200 different 8-bit platforms from back in the day, including Dragons and VIC-20s and Commodore 64s and Ataris and a bunch of you know more obscure ones almost nobody's ever heard of. Um, and this is his fifth release using this engine. So this is the Dragon slash Coco version shown here, and it's definitely running in, in you know the Dragon uh, PAL set here because there's no artifacting. And this particular game that he's released here is called Cross Horde. And uh, I'll play a little bit of the video here so you can kind of see what it looks like in action and, and the sound too. It's it's fairly simplistic. It's it's meant to be a cross-platform engine. You can't really do smooth sprites on that because you know some other ones are based on character-based like tile sets character and stuff. Set. Yeah. 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 Oh, so the guys are falling and you're trying to push them up. Oh, it's kind of like uh, the Arkanoid concept. You have to hit certain things more than once. Yeah. Oh, and they hey, drop money? <laughs> yep. We wouldn't do this every week. I bet you don't want... This would be... A little bit loud. Um, Was it? Yeah. I had turned it down, but... Yeah. yeah. Think of how great this would be, you know, like if Road Rage. There's a whole bunch of cars in front of you, and somehow you could just smack them, and they would pop like a bubble, and money would fall into your uh, vehicle. <laughs> that, that sounds like a Coca VGA project for you, Steve. <laughs> I, won't, I won't play the whole thing. You get the idea. Yeah, that's neat. But it's, it's really cool that he has this as a cross-platform, and the tool that he uses, the library that allows a translation between all these different machines is something that he's got publicly available. So is it his own tool, or is it an over-the-counter thing? I think it's his own tool. Cross-lib. Um, yeah, so the, the link uh, Mark can post it in, the, in there. that doesn't. You can download the snapshots here for all the different games and for all the different machines. Okay. And there's about 200 different 8-bit machines he's currently supporting. Wow. So here's a description of Cross-lib itself here. This basically tells you what... Retro hardware extraction layer for coding universal demos, games, and programs for hundreds of mostly 8-bit systems, consoles, computers, scientific calculators, handheld consoles, arcade boards, hacked computer toys, etc. Um, Cross Chase is a universal 8-bit game. Cross Shoot is the second universal. Cross Bomber. And Cross yeah, these are the Snake. four he's previously released, and now he's released okay. the fifth one. Uh, and then if you scroll down, here's the, here's the architecture. So... Uh, Cosmark RCA eighteen oh two derivative never. Yeah, that's a Cosmac Elf if you Cosmac, remember that machine okay. from the mid seventies. Yeah. Ma sixty five oh two. There's the Z log eighty is in there. <laughs> um, sixteen bit architectures and thirty two and even thirty two sixty four bit architectures. Um, interesting. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty interesting project. We have covered it before, though I hadn't seen the link to the actual library yeah. itself before. So any of you people interested in doing like a cross-platform, if you want to write a fairly simplistic game, because it's, it's, it's got to be 
kind of you know dumbed down to the lowest common denominators in some ways. Not what do you mean? Way. I don't understand. Exactly. It's Stephen Fry. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Throw your marks out there. No. Yeah. Uh, no, that's cool. That is very cool. Yep. I mean, if you're just interested in the games themselves, and if you have multiple 8-bit systems, or 16 or 32 for that matter, but you have multiple retro systems, which a lot of us here on the panel do, yeah. a lot of us in the audience do, you can actually compare and contrast the various versions and download them. Right. So this might um, be a good one to do. Like, land. I'm working on my little bomb-catching game. This is probably simple enough for that, you know. Yep. yep. That's based on, basically, you know, font-based graphics. Based uh, on, basically. Based on, basically. Basically based on the basic idea. Uh, yeah, no, that's really cool. Good job, Fabrizio. Next up, we got Jim Geary, who's... Uh, He's like, hold, hold my beer, Paul Shoemaker. You may have 19 different card games, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's, just what he, that's just what Jim did last week. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this isn't a new one, though. This this is his tweak tweaking time. Mm. So basically, he's got some aesthetic changes to his MC10 port of the old computing now poker game. Um, so he made some cosmetic changes here with some you know different colors, and then he was getting some suggestions in the comments. Now he's also decided to do the same thing with McCheckers. He's um, he said the contrast between the original pieces, though technically more correct, uh, was a little bit hard to see for some people. So he's picked some different alternative colors for the the checker pieces, and then he's also been improving the AI. Uh, he was fixing bugs last week when we we're talking about the McCheckers. MC checkers, and uh, this time he's actually trying to make it a bit more intelligent because apparently it's pretty easy to beat. So he did that too, and then he's done some alternative ones here where he's changing like to a cyan, and then tried to use a dark green background oh. so that the text doesn't flare out like. Yeah, this no, that's neat. So I personally think this last one looks yeah. better because yeah. the text merges yeah. with the background. And and going. you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like a lot of the poker tables and game tables had that green velvet, like a pool table. You know, the green yeah. velvet thing that a lot of yeah. card t- yeah. card game tables had. This looks like this that. This fits it. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Plus, it doesn't have the text literally blaring out because it's on right, top of another color. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, it mixes in the background. So I think it looks better. Yeah, I like that. Uh, next up, uh, this is kind of a two-parter here. So Robert Seek, I saw this post first. So he said, if we created an LP, a long play record, of Jim Gary's games, which ones would you add? Go ahead and add some games to Jim's Gone Gold LP. <laughs> so uh, when I first read this, I was going, that's kind of a neat idea. I mean, Rainbow did this. They had the Flexi Disc in the mm-hmm. second anniversary issue of Rainbow in July of 1983, which had, I think, three programs on, including some games. And you would actually put it on your turntable, take your earphone jack, put it into the, the Coco's you know, cassette earphone jack, and you could actually load the programs off of an actual Flexi Disc that magazines used to hand out. Well, that's kind of, kind of a cool idea. That's not quite what they're doing here. There is actually a service now to make custom real hard plastic LPs, 12-inch LPs. Vinyl. You betcha. You're talking about hard vinyl. So this is what this idea is based on. If you see here, this eBay custom records 12-inch black, and uh, I guess there are some plans about possibly taking some of Jim's best games and actually put them on a real LP, a hard LP. Wow. So you want to go all out retro, you can load on a retro turntable games for your retro MC10. Now, no, there's nothing it- stopping us from doing this on the Coco as well, of course. Can we get a dozen albums for a penny, like Columbia House? <laughs> yeah, and then you just have to buy well, six more at 12 times their next yeah. price for uh, the next 12 years. Yeah, and so. if you really want to go all out expensive here, you could actually do like picture discs. If you remember Ooh. the old albums from the 80s, that would be cool. Yes, it would. 
So it's a rather interesting discussion. I mean, it's it's. I thought it was more unjust, but actually, I mean, they're doing it kind of serious here because this yeah. service is available. So then, what you do is you you get the album and you do, and then you record it to cassette from the album, and then that way you've got your <laughs> tapes that you can load as well. So, well, you can load directly off the album too. Like yes, you can. Jack. But yeah, no, that's really cool. All right, now take yourself in a time where you go out to the future, right? And you've died, and your grandchildren have your stuff. And they put this record on the record player. And they go, man, that new wave stuff was crap. <laughs> and Moran's grandchildren go, oh, God, that's that Sammy Gimes grandpa always told us about. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was Grandpa Ron's favorite. <laughs> yeah, that was his top 20. <laughs> uh, cool stuff. And you know, the, the next sound you hear will be Ron rolling in his grave. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> It's a pretty good idea. So anyway, since it looks like they're at least semi-serious on this, if you want to vote on the you know thousand and five different games that Jim Gary's done last um, week, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh wait, it's a thousand and ten now. I just yeah. got updated. Um, so they've got a few suggestions going here. There's six currently in there with uh, Coloroid leading uh, by four with four votes, and then uh, two that have two votes. I, my my number one vote would be to have Nightmare Highway on there. Okay. Is well, there an MC10? Is there an MC10 version of Nightmare Highway? It's got to be. Right? I don't think so. Is there? Hmm. Well, there needs to be. You need to, uh, need to get. Can uh, record get on that? Uh, especially with the compiler now, you can just compile it. Yeah. Well, the original one was written as a hybrid ML. Yeah. And yeah. Basic game. So. Nightmare Highway. Uh, Ken's saying no. Okay. But so that means soon, right? Ken? The, the day is young. Um, <laughs> Ken, Ken says, I'm holding out for wax cylinders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Only available on a track. Okay. Side by side. Oh, Jim said he was going to. So apparently, Jim is planning on that ad. That okay. is the 2011th game. Nightmare Highway. Anyway, you're not restricted to the ones on here. You do have the add an option at the bottom. So okay. if you want to add in one of Jim's games that you're a fan of, uh, throw that on there. And if they actually do uh, announce that they're actually doing a real LP on that, we'll definitely mention it on the show. So cool stuff. And then if, 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 if you decide you're just tired of the games then you can become a DJ and just, you know, yeah. do the whole pick it, pick it, pick it, pick it. There we go. Albums, old school games, games and, and stories. stories. So this is a channel I've never seen before. And it's uh, I think called Jason Vector. No, this old games schools or old school games and stories. Check out that dog in the background. Yeah, that's the guy from uh, Duck Hunt. Yeah, so it's basically it's it's about old old retro systems basically. But in this particular case, uh, he talks about his first ever video game system that used cartridges, which was a Coco Two. Wow. So I'll play a little bit. It's got that awesome generic music in the background. Oh, hey, what's going on? Glad you stopped by to hang out with me for a few minutes today. Well, today I thought I'd show you something kind of unique and special. At least to me, anyway. Have you ever seen... What is that? ...handy color computer? I have not. What is that? It looks interesting. <laughs> it's got patina on it. And a controller. So this is of the TRS-80 line. Now he he like Stevie when Stevie first started doing Coco videos, he's trying to do a lot of his his shared recollections based on memories 30, 40 years ago. So there's some factual stuff that's a little bit off. So I did I did send him a message just before the show because I literally just discovered this video this morning. 
um, even inviting him to come join in on the chat on the show or, or maybe even on the show itself. Yeah, point, excellent. Um, like to get him on. But yeah, he goes through some of the games he played back in the day. Um, now, he said his video capture hardware would not capture the Coco signal properly, so he couldn't do any videos of it. Now, I think some of you guys have hit that same problem. Certain capture cards just hate. Well, RF is a unique animal. So uh, if if we can get in contact with him, I can show him what devices I've used to capture RF. But um, yeah, because if he's got a stock Coco, it's only got RF out, and that's really difficult to capture. Okay. He goes through the fact that it had analog sticks. And then he decides to demonstrate. Now, this will be strange to some of you, and he pushes it to the side and lets go, and it doesn't go back to the center. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, when I did my first Coco video, I didn't even have the hardware to reference, so I just had to Google pictures, you know, and just make a slideshow of pictures because I didn't have the hardware. I was just trying to do recollecting and, you know, harvesting pictures off the Internet. So yeah. he's he's definitely done a better job than my first one because he has got real hardware. <laughs> <laughs> and Ken, no, he did not play Color Scripts, though he did play Handyman. Hmm. So, in fact, I think he Color actually scripts. holds a cartridge up a little bit later here to show you. That's pinball. So he goes through some of the cartridges in his collection. He's got a few, and he's trying try to find some. He said also he's not a collector per se. He just wants to get some of the original games on the original hardware. So he, he says if he, you know, if he goes on to eBay and he sees a game. Hey, is that, is that him in the live chat right now? It is. Hey, dude. Old oh, school. there. Hey. He literally yeah, just welcome. popped into the live chat. Wow. Cool, man. We're talking about your video, dude. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get you on the show sometime. And if you have yeah. any questions, feel free to fire them in the chat while we're on the yeah. here. So. But he goes through a couple of the old cartridges and he talks a bit about the games um, and also Handyman, you know, which is, you know, having something that you could actually you know, use as a work thing. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Like I said, I've never seen his channel before. So right, uh, right, right, right. I, I definitely invited him over to the show. Glad, glad you caught my message there. And uh, yeah, ask any questions away in the chat. And uh, yeah, uh, somebody well, said we should have you on the show sometime. Yeah, join us on Discord so we can talk, man. I'll put the link out there right now. So yeah. Um, well, if you if you still have your Coco Two from back in the day, is that it there? Is this your original Coco Two? And it's a later Tandy labeled one, so it might even be the one with the uh, lowercase VDT oh, built into. Could be. Does he does he show anything off on screen? Uh, just occasionally gets a screenshot. With okay. Like that, okay. So. There we go. And yes, he said that is his original Coco Two. Okay, cool, awesome. Downland, good game. So we'll have to find out if you're familiar with stuff like the Coco SDC and stuff, which might help your collecting become much, much cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. if you're in for the playing of the games versus the collecting of the cartridges physically. So small. He stick on the game, game on. Yeah, actually, we should get you to join in on that too. Yeah. So. Um. Oh, cool. So anyway, uh, feel free to ask questions during the and, show here. I'll and, keep an eye on the chat here once the news is over. So, yeah, I'm gonna. You need you need an RF capture, and um, if we can get together offline, I'll 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 show you some devices I've used that will capture the cocoa via RF. Your normal TV tuners won't necessarily do it, um, but you need something that can. Uh, but yeah, we, we we need to we need to get in touch, and I'll send you. I've got a few devices I've used to to record cocos off of the RF um, connector. An old school analog TV uh, thing. Uh, cool stuff. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Thanks for joining us too. Yeah, we need more cocoa on the internet, man. Gotta have more cocoa. Yep. 
And here's another one. This is a, a pickup video that uh, from a person I've not seen before. This is the Jason Vectrix one. I think I was, yeah, I got them. So this is just a quick little video of some pickups he got. And obviously you can see from what's underneath all the Coke cartridges, he collects quite a bit of you know, video game stuff for various things like PS4s and Xboxes, etc. Scroll down a little bit on that Jason Vectrix thing. Yeah, uh, his name used to be something else. I know this guy. We, we've, oh, known each, we've known each other through youth. Not personally, but we've been YouTube friends for a while. He's commented on some of my old videos. I recognize that picture of, of his profile picture. It didn't, oh, okay. he, he didn't used to be called Jason Vetrex. He was something else. But yeah, okay. Okay. So anyway, he picked up a, a series of Coco Carter this year, which I won't bother playing the video. It's uh, five minutes, but you guys can check it out for his comments on it. But you can kind of see he's got a nice collection of Coco 1 and two games here yeah and they all look pretty clean and pristine too yeah, Arc- I, none of the labels are peeling right off like some of mine are yeah <laughs> so that was kind of cool so a couple people well i guess you said this guy's not new to the i don't Coca-Cola think movie. so i'm not sure lately anyways his profile picture looks familiar it could be a complete coincidence but i i do remember somebody who used to comment on my videos and we used to chat back and forth via, through youtube that had that same profile picture okay um, I mean, it goes, with, it goes through the collection, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let me hear his voice. Play the video. Might be a guy that I know. Something in like a uh, baseball game or something. Hard to tell. Hard to tell. Like 30 bucks and yeah. Okay. So I check the video out, and uh, I mean, if you have any comments on, on some of his comments on some of the games, feel free to do so. Yeah. Next up, uh, Cuthbert Dragon, who's actually been cranking out videos like crazy again after that pause where he erased everything and started over, basically. Um, I haven't really been posting too much about him lately because he's been redoing a lot of the same games he did the first rounds you know, a year or two ago. Uh, but he's thrown in a few here I've not seen before. Um, so Cecil plays 21. I won't bother playing it. It's just a card game. We've seen that you know 100 times before. But two that I wanted to particularly pick out here that I had not seen uh, before... One, one, I'm trying to remember. We might have seen Two-Way Army. I can't remember. You can correct me if I'm lying on that, Stevie. I can't remember if this is one. I'll just go back to the title. Mm, that definitely looks like Scramble. Yeah, it's a Scramble-style game. Yeah. Oh. We did voice. Speech. Yeah, voice. Actually, I think we have seen this before. I don't think I've seen the title screen, because a lot yeah. of the ones we've, had, we've seen videos before, people have not played the title screen while it's loading. Right. Now, this is pretty good. This scrolling is pretty smooth. Yeah. Minimal sounds, but um, uh, Sixty saying you must have seen Two Boy Army. It was sold through Tandy, after all. Honestly, I don't ever remember. It wasn't sold this. here by Tandy. Yeah. <laughs> in the UK. Not Looks in, like you get to shoot a lot of stuff. Not in North America. Um, yeah, it looks good. I like it. Yeah, it's it's one of the better scramble clones, actually. I'd rank it up there pretty close to where they would run. Yeah. Scramble now, by Tom Mix looked good, but it would kind of that shimmery scroll. It didn't look smooth. I mean, it's not a bad game either. But. Yeah, no, I like it. it. Looks good. It's definitely smooth. Smooth enough. Yeah, he has a later levels in here too. Oh, it changes colors and whatnot. Yeah. Heavy on the whatnot. <laughs> oh, this is like, <laughs> like we're getting into Pop Star Pilot. Dragon. Yeah, Pop Star Pilot territory here and Sea Dragon, all those other. Cool speech. Oh, Custom holy! Probably the first crumb. scramble clone I played. From 60 in the chat. Oh, it's even has a British accent. Get ready. Play well, more. that makes it. I mean, what yeah. else could you possibly yeah. want in life? That's right. Man, that, that adds a touch of class. A, a British now, this accent. next one I for sure have not seen before. This is a version of Tron called Trun. Trun. Yeah. 
Now, it looks a bit more simplistic than the other versions and the arcade one, because like I noticed on the spider screen, they don't seem to move much. I don't know if that's a bug in the particular copies got or if that's the way the game played. But it, um, it's a rather unique take on it. Trun. Yeah, I have never seen one called Trun before. Oh, yeah, the way it... Uh, okay. Okay, I like the fonts. I, the, 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 the whole thing looks very similar to... Okay. Oh, he's even got the grids for the life cycles, yep. which which most of them did not do. They said the plain black background. I think you can only turn on the grid. Oh, dude, this I actually like this. This is cool. The music's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> now we got two tanks. Didn't he and just... this one too, the tanks strictly follow your position so you can lure them out like he's doing here. Okay. Because they will only follow, you know, straight, vertical, and horizontal. They won't figure out to go around corners on their own until they have a free spot to go to. Okay, so I want to see the spiders in the cone. Okay, here's the spiders. Yeah, but you notice they don't really seem to be moving. They just uh, move no, they very did. slowly. Yeah, they chunk. did, though. They, they Okay. And then there's the timer inside. That's cool. That's very... Uh, oh, look at that. Oh, yes. Me likey. This is good, dude. Oh, and the, yep. thing, the thing on the bottom is, like, moving up. Yeah, because so, normally it's the whole thing's going yeah, down. Yeah, instead of it, in instead of case, it coming the down, the up. floor is going up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I really like this. Other than I've, the, I've never uh, seen this one before. This is the first nah. time I've seen video of this one, so that, that was cool. It's screaming for some uh, palette adjustments, but um, yeah. Look Why at would that. you ever want palette adjustments? Trun. Trun. <laughs> oh, two bikes. Dude, I really like this. Uh-oh, and they got the different speeds. Oh, he's screwed. You're screwed, dude. Level three. Kill all tanks. Man, that guy down there is having a friggin' seizure. Uh, <laughs> anyway. That is cool. Idea. I really like that. That is probably one of the better looking Tron clones for the Cocoa that I've seen. I like the grid bugs. Yeah, see, they did kind of move in, but then, yeah. yeah they, they do move they, a bit, but they, they are move, much they slower move, than yeah, the arcade They kind of move, the move and pause, yeah. Um, okay. That's, that level seems too easy to me, the way it's currently yeah. set up, compared to the okay. other Coco versions. I like what they did with the tanks, and I like that he has the actual grid behind the life cycle thing, too. That is a nice touch. It says, take, take the small pill for more speed. <laughs> okay cool stuff what's next curtis oh so that was the only new ones i saw like i said the rest of them are, are repeats that we've done before but i wanted to point those two in specific out um mainly because i'd never seen the title screen before in two-way army and then this one i've never seen before at all okay yeah so yeah. there's still some gems on the in the dragon market i oh. haven't seen so yes the screen capture seems pretty good oh what is this okay i've so this seen is, this in mame before yeah, this is this is Crazy Kong yeah. here being shown. But basically, this is Don Kong clones, bootlegs, and versions you may have not seen. Now, for some reason, they didn't cover the Coco 3 version, which definitely should have been on this list. So they do cover Donkey King. And then they compare it with some other ones, too, that you can kind of go through. So there's, uh, like, Crazy Kong 1 and 2, Crazy Kong for the Commodore 64, Congo Kong. And it's not just strictly Donkey Kong clones. It's also derivative. So it even has, like, you know, Congo Bongo and stuff in there, too. Okay, they do mention Donkey King for the Coco. That's good. Donkey King made yep. the list. Yeah, and then they have Congo Bongo from the arcade. So you can, you can see a variety of you know different approaches to it on different yeah. platforms. So like yeah, I, uh, I used to play this in an arcade. I, uh, there was an arcade not not too far oh, from here. Oh wow! And it it um it had 
it was a special like test arcade. So they would get special machines and oh, Crazy okay. Kong. I remember playing Crazy Kong. It's got the weirdest music you ever saw. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, like it's the, totally bootleg. Yeah. It's not and bootleg. It's, a, it's actually a, a pre it was a it's like a version what when they were developing Donkey Kong, this was like where they were at one point. Hmm. Because it's almost the exactly colors are horrible. The same. <laughs> yeah, the colors are different. But the some of the graphics are identical uh, to Donkey Kong. Like test market. Yeah, is it, exactly. The, this this was a test version, and it was it would go into special test arcades. And there was one of these test arcades near me once. And you, when you'd go in there, you'd find regular video games, but you would also find stuff like this that you're like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah. And it was basically, you know, they would put these in the arcades to see how well they did, and make changes based on feedback they would get from the operators. Yeah, because in this case, it looks like. It, it looks like Donkey Kong, but they've taken a couple of the uh, P-Mode 3 color set changes that you <laughs> have on a Coco and thrown them on here like magenta for high score and, yeah. and green. And Anyway, sorry, go ahead, Nick. There was a restaurant near where I grew up that had this, uh, Crazy Kong, though. So I don't know. If, uh, it was I, I probably it was a, a test leg. arcade. Yeah, and then they made a Crazy Kong 2. Okay. That's the one I remember with the orange girders. Yeah. And this is Crazy Kong on the Commodore 64, which is quite different. It's <laughs> quite horrible. Yeah. And then Congo Kong, which is more of a derivative. <laughs> People have uh, uh, issues about it against angled. Now, burgers, now is the uh, Atari 2600 version on here? I'll have to check. Okay, oh, this almost looks like a specky because this you see is, the, This is a specky. Yeah, because you see the color, color, you can the see color, the color bleed. bleed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This is another specky. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's specky? Phil, Phil Spectrum. Ignorant Spectrum. in Spectrum. Sinclair Spectrum. ZX. UK. ZX Spectrum. Yeah. Or ZX. Uh, okay. Now yeah, that one at least the That's colors. A BBC micro. You know, the colors look more accurate. The colors, I should say. Hey, Donkey King. I recognize that one. Yeah. Oh, I have the nostalgia here. The whole and pretty decent play there, 112,000 points already. Wow. It's a beauty, eh? And Congo then Bongo Bongo from the arcade, which is a derivative, obviously. Yeah. Another oh, C64 Kong. an arcade version of Congo Bongo. Pardon me? I never knew there was an arcade version of Congo Yeah, that's where, that's where it oh, came yeah. from. Yeah. It originated from, in yeah. the arcade. Yeah. Um, Using the Zaxxon engine board. Yeah. What it really goes to show you is how popular that this game style and this game was. You know, in 1981, when Donkey Kong was released in the States, it was it was kind of like Pac-Man mania all over again. Pac-Mania. It was Donkey Kong mania. We were, we were just dying to get our hands on anything that looked and acted anything close to that game. That's the Canyon Climber was one, you know. Yep. Um, so there was a ton of games that used the whole platform ladder jumping um, you know, thing. And if you think about it, even something like Load Runner is is a Donkey Kong like game, and so is like Space Panic. Um, but Donkey Kong just made this format insanely popular. So there's trillions of inspired games from that whole Donkey Kong thing, and it's it's simple, but it's challenging and rewarding and fun. And you know, 40 years later, we're still talking about it and still enjoying playing games like yeah, this. And it's still know? an active. Uh yeah, and something too. like Sockmaster is still doing the Donkey Kong remixes and still live streaming it, and there's still tons of people that love playing the, even the real Donkey Kong hardware. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been modern console like 3D Donkey Kongs on the Nintendo 64 and you know, yeah, the recent yeah, that franchise, too. yeah, the Mario. Oh, yeah, it's, 
Yeah. It's the, uh, I was surprised to see that the older game machines, you know, that you went and played at stores and stuff were 6809 machines. Yeah, Williams used them quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Z80s and 6809s. That's what virtually every arcade game uses. Now you're definitely or, getting the derivative market here. Some of these later ones on this video. Okay. And Canyon Climber. Canyon you Climber. That one. And this, this uh, looks like the Atari 800 version or something because yeah, it's got it a different color background. And it was much slower. Yes, very it was much. Horribly slower. This uh, one I remember Cannibal Blitz on the Apple II. Okay. Plus. Interesting. Yeah. Great stuff. Yep, I remember that. There's Jump Man, which Cash Man's you know, based on. Okay. Interesting. That's very Atari 800 font looking there. Hard Hat Mac. Hard Hat Mac. I, I remember play playing one. that on the Apple. Yeah. 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 I didn't play that one on the Apple. I only played Cannibal Blitz. Yeah, I tried making a Coco uh, version of that. Too. And this is not a clone at all. This is logger from the arcade. It has nothing to do with Donkey Kong. Not at all. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's the bird from, uh, from Washington. I see zero similarities here. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously a bird rolling eggs at you. Yeah. nothing. But we, common. yeah, I mean, the, the world was so in love with this type of game, we would take anything that reminded us of it in any way. That, that bird know. was out of a different video game, too. So <clears throat> they had Star Phoenix, Wars right? and, and yeah. Star Trek, too, with this engine? <laughs> who knows yeah climb climb, yeah, climb to the top of the enterprise uh there is a <laughs> real donkey kong which you i mean looks so close to the coco 3 version you can't tell the difference yeah, yeah this is Unless a you this the is, ladders yeah. really close this is a clone of the coco 3 version so <laughs> <laughs> there you go hey very cool that's neat it's neat to see yeah, the, I, I love these comparison videos yeah. i mean frodo's been planning on doing some of these two and he's done one or two already yeah and i like the ones that the amigos have been doing where they show them side by side you know where you can yeah. see them and then, and then it just you get the speaker moving to one or the other so you can see which one's making the noise at the time that's a neat way to visualize it too i've seen a few that kind of do the the uh the hollywood squares version too where they put like 15 or 16 uh, versions all okay. at once on the screen yeah all simultaneously and they click <laughs> between the sound but that gets a little hard to follow okay. hollywood squares okay that's neat donkey kong to this day still a very popular franchise yeah oh yeah oh darts yeah so we covered this guy, I think, was it last week or the week before? But it's a Polish guy. He's got a channel called Robos. And he's basically, he's, he does a lot of these retro things. And he'll pick a platform and he'll pick a letter of the alphabet. And he'll just do some games starting with that letter on the platform. By the so way, he's the Dragon. XROR. He's just an XROR. Excellent emulator, XROR. Yep. <laughs> and the author, Kieran, is in the chat. Yeah. Um, so basically, in this one here, he covers, and I'll just show you a list in case you guys want to see any specific ones. So there's Darts, Darts. Datafall. Dragon Comer Scanner is not a game. That's an actual scanner. It's kind of like, uh, Ron, what was the one we had on the Coco 1 and 2 for scanning? D digitizer? What is yeah. what is Desperado uh, Man? Yes, it's it's like that for the dragon. This is a dragon Desperado version of DS6 game, basically. What is Desperado Man? Is that like an outlaw cowboy type thing? You want to check that one out? Yeah, I like the name. Okay. You could just click on the hyperlink. It would jump you there. I could. Uh, That'd be too easy. Oh, that's no fun. Okay. Uh, oh, wow. This, yeah, amazing dra this dragon has a sound chip, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's most using the MSX. That's one thing I don't sound. like about some of these videos. If you drown out the original sound of the game because you're playing some you know modern track that just doesn't yeah. cut it for me. Okay. So where to now, go? One I wanted to point out in here that's a little bit interesting. Um, there's a game in here called Decathlon. And I was going, oh, well, we've seen Decathlons before. So like, what, what, who cares about you know, another one Decathlon? I even wrote one. Um, but this is a decathlon of mini games that have nothing to do with the Olympics or sports. Okay. And they're in basics. So, I mean, they're they're fairly simple. But it was an interesting concept of having this menu where you go through your different games, 
and I don't know all the details of them all, but here's a list of them. Ah. Okay, Blocker, Hangman, Spider, Shootout, and all these other things. Some are low-res semi-graphics, some are P-Mode 3-1 type things. So basically, you try to go through them and do as well as you can in all 10 games to complete a full round. So like, here's oh. Hangman. Wow. Yeah, that's neat. Oh, look Shootout at that. Bank. Boom. Look at that. There's another one here with the birds that drop and stuff on them. Mm. Oh no, he's pooping on something. It's a big old one. Real live yeah. dragon sound. Oh. I wonder if it hits. It goes. Oh, be get behind the door, right? Let's be. Yeah. Caterpillar, okay. you kind of do your standard caterpillars collect things. Chopper. Ooh, what does chopper look like? Oh, look at that! That's nice. Well, like, these are in basic, like I said, so I mean, they're not high end, but I mean, yeah. it's a nice concept to have you load yeah. one program, you get 10 games to choose yeah. from menu. Kind Absolutely. Of oh, this almost is maybe like a lunar lander where you have to land on a certain spot. I don't know. Cause I don't know. That, that, this is a new one on me. I mean, Karen, if you've seen this one before, you can let me know. Okay. I like it. Was there another one here? Another show? Carrera, I think, was one that I had not seen before, that which is a car completely game. Completely starts with the letter D, too. <laughs> yeah, you noticed it. I think I think because he did I think he did see last time I think he figured he missed Just one or two finish, so. finishing up okay yeah, it's kind of like me you know when I do my updates down land what is that that looks interesting oh cars look at this Brian Weasler wants to come in should we let him in put it to yeah, a vote sure. I'm just about done the game on stuff here back. Yeah. this is the last one alright Hear the roar of the engines. Yep. Yeah, that would make me commit suicide after about 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, I've, so, ever, if I ever prayed for deafness, this would be the time. <laughs> yeah. This is why I play guitar so loud, because I don't even notice this stuff anymore. Um, pilot, playing sound? Pilot's asking, where's the couches? <laughs> <laughs> this is Carrera, not the Nightmare Island. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Neat. Neat, neat, neat. I think Carrera translates into Nightmare Highway. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's Polish for Nightmare Highway. Um, and that is the end of the Game On news portion here. So if okay. you want to have Brian. Um, Mark, or Brian, or- Mark Brian Weezer, do you have some project updates and acquisitions you want to share with us? Uh, sure. Question. Okay, everybody. That's really question. Everybody, Actually, we should ask us how many dozen of them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> everybody's name is right. Mark something today, just so you know. Oh, okay. I so came in late too, Brian. I had no idea what the hell they were talking about. Yeah. So, so like, you're, you are so Mark Brian Weasler. Mark. Oh, I see that now. <laughs> I just picked up on that up on the screen yeah. there. Sorry. <laughs> A little slow to the game here. So. Um. Yeah. Uh. So I did post this out on. Uh, out on Facebook there. You guys have seen this issue here of the uh, Rainbow Magazine. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And then there was also one of the... Uh, the, the Rainbow uh, the Book of Adventures. Yeah, the very first Rainbow, first Rainbow Book of Adventures. Adventures. The I only think... one that size. And then over my shoulder, this is what I wanted to show you guys, I found this poster on eBay, and it even has the Rainbow logo on it. Oh, wow. It is, it, it's a poster yeah. of that. Wow. I think, if I remember correctly, they sold it right after they published the book. I think okay. you could buy it separately, is what I remember. Because I did have a friend here who had one, too, but it's long lost, unfortunately. Do you know who okay. the artist is? 
Um, I, it wasn't. Was it John Freese? The same guy did the regular ones, or was it somebody else? I can't remember now. Yeah, I think I it was somebody I different. I don't see anything on there. I don't see anything it, on the book in be, the corner. It, but... it might mention in the uh, January '83 Rainbow you've got there. Now there is on the corner right here on the table. I did notice here it says 1982, and it has Crawford. I don't know if Crawford. Oh no, no okay, that is Crawford. Then he said, "I'm oh, sorry, I was thinking John Fraser's yeah, programmer." Yeah, yeah Crawford's the one who did most of the Rainbow covers when they were okay. painting them. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's that's right very there. nice. It very much reminds me of like a Dungeons and Dragons, uh, you know, user monster manual or Dungeon Master's Guide. Sure. You know, the old D and D hardbound books reminds me of that. Yeah. yeah, the posters. The poster is super clear. I mean, compared to like even the even the the book itself, um, okay. just the colors just jump right off. It's really <laughs> really yeah. pretty cool. So. Most most of the rainbow ones that are painted covers, which most mm -hmm. of them were, except for the very early and very late ones, were done by the same artist. Okay, was there doing some the poster cocoa on there? Uh, yes, there is right here. It looks like it's it's hard to tell if it's silver or white, but it's uh, it's like a cocoa one. Neat. That's that's an interesting find. I've not seen too many. Yeah, those those are rare. Um, I've only yeah. seen one before in my life in real life. What, what's yeah. that from? It's from Rainbow. From Rainbow. Rainbow sold them separately. Uh, it was based. They got they had so much um, people writing in about the January '83 cover, and also because that was when they had the adventure game contest announced. And then when the actual book came out with the winners, and they used that same artwork for the cover, they had so many requests. You that would make a great poster, so they decided to actually manufacture one and sell it. Was, yeah. was there other other posters anybody's aware of that were done, or is this maybe the only one? I think that's the only one they did. Only one I they remember. did. Okay. Did they come rolled up, or did you find it on you know like it is? Uh, no, I I put it. I I picked up this frame yesterday. But when it, it was there, shipped, yeah. when it was shipped to you, it was yeah. like in a tube or whatever, rolled up yep, in a tube. Yeah, they, yeah, they they put it in a nice tube. I was, I was I was praying that they wouldn't fold it. So yep, they rolled it up and shipped it in a nice big long square container. So yeah, they they shipped it very well. So, nice. Right. Yeah. I wonder if there's the ability to get that scanned. There's got to be large format scanners that could possibly scan that. That would be nice to have a high resolution scan of that poster. Better yet, just give us our address and the day you're going on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have I have a lot of security and cameras around, so yeah, you have to you have to evade the security. Um, Another thing that oh, I, your time I your up time's up, Brian. All right, oh, we're I'm moving sorry. on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had a half an hour. <laughs> I don't know why these caught my eye, but they, they were just some cassette mailers. They were okay. little uh, from Radio Shack. They were little cardboard mailers you could yeah, pull up to, uh, yeah. to send a cassette. I don't know. I, I thought they were I, kind of I, some of those are in red too. Um, the first year right, I went okay. to Coco Fest. Uh, Matt Witt had done a project where he had found a USB drive that folded up into a plastic cassette. So it was a replica oh. of, a, of an audio cassette, but the bottom would fold out and had a USB stick. And then at that time, this was like 2016, he had downloaded the entire Color Computer Archive, put it on this USB stick that was built into a plastic cassette housing. And then he had found some of those Radio Shack mailers. It was white cardboard with the red Radio Shack logo on there. And that was his project slash you know, item for sale at that Cocoa Fest was a, you know, a, you know, quote unquote cassette oh, with cool. the color computer archive on it in a actual Radio Shack mailing box. It was a neat, I've oh. got one. I think he may have had 10 total that he'd ever produced, oh, um, cool. but it was a neat project. Yeah. Um, another thing I picked up here, I'd never, I don't know, just kind of the, the front cover, uh, Owl Nest, Owl Nest software made this, uh, called program files supposed to be for like organizing your programs okay it comes on cassette comes on cassette 
So it was in the original packaging. The bottom's kind of uh, <laughs> a little worse for wear, but uh, shredded up by a rat or what? <laughs> or something. Oh and, yeah. So it's uh, yeah, kind of falling apart. Hold, but hold that up again, though. Hold that up because that yeah. that is what software looked like, man. When we yes. bought software, that's what it was. It was in a you know photocopied you know paper baggy stapled you know. Um, but I don't remember it tore up like that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's how third-party software looked a lot of times. Yeah, really. and I was Nest advertised in Rainbow for years. Yeah. Did they? Okay. Very good. Uh, are they related to the hardware company, the Owl? I don't think so. I think Owl's Nest was more of a normally an educational stuff. I'm trying to remember now. Do you have your cocos behind you sorted by shade by any chance? It's almost like a tooth whitening chart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, yes, I do. Yes, yes. Okay. I, I, I. Sorted by shade. Okay. So what's a great for the old silver fillings? <laughs> yes, all the way. Well, you can't quite see on the others. The silver ones at the bottom, and then they work. Uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> if you if you wonder why color computers are expensive on eBay now, yeah, there's a reason. Blame why. Brian. Are, yeah. <laughs> this, this is just a tenth of the display. <laughs> um, another thing that I got here was the uh, Coco Extravaganza. Kind of a neat cover, this uh, this dragon here. It comes, and I've seen the book before, but not in this uh, little binder that all comes together. It unfortunately didn't have the disc, but the disc is available out okay. there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, just a book about it. It's a programming guide. Again, you know, it has like example programs and such, you know, for, for different things, but it's called the. Uh, Coco Extravaganza. So that's, that's cool. Uh, I, I've seen the book before too, but I didn't even know it was available with the little, you know, wrap plastic sleeve and. Uh, yeah, it kind of looks like a clamshell, like a VHS tape uh, clamshell holder or something, you know. Um, right. Yep. Or is it more like a binder? Is it more like the old Tandy binder ones? Um, no, the, the manual or the the book actually kind of slides into a little. Sleeve okay. Right there on the Okay. Binder, so. That is neat. Yeah. What's the spine look like? Okay. Yeah, that's neat. That's really neat. It's kind of like a folder, you know, the like the yeah, yeah. Um, cool Interesting stuff. Interesting that there's a dragon on there. Yeah, co- a Coco yeah. <laughs> thing with a dragon <laughs> on the cover. Right. I like the uh, the striped shirt though. Weren't those so ironic or uh, iconic back then? Yeah, you know, oh, absolutely. Kind of reminds you of a candy striper, huh? Uh, <laughs> Ron's got candy, candy stripers on the brain today. All right. Yep. And then there was a series here of this uh, Kalur. Computer, uh, uh, that, that that Tandy did here. Yeah, um, I remember those fantastic so, games. It's fantastic. Right. It's incredible. It's get down. Plastic. Get to the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> so there was fantastic games, which I had this one, and then recently I also got uh, Space Adventures. But those those were not fantastic Space Adventures. They're they were, just they were Space Adventures. Just, okay. Just so. Space Adventures. <laughs> they are for the Kalur computer. Kalur computer. And then uh, what else? Can you do with your TRS? I'm dying to know. I'm dying to know. <laughs> what does it suggest, Brian? What does it suggest? <laughs> does it suggest sound chips, real time clocks or uh, <laughs> clocks? Is that a word? Is it a software book or is it a hardware project book or a mix or what is it? Um, it I haven't had a chance to read through this one yet, but it does have software examples in there. Uh, money minder program, variables used. So I think it just kind of gives a bunch of uh, examples. Match and win. So, uh, so it's like it's like a potpourri of potpourri, uh, different or, things, yes. Yeah. Random programs. Wee oui, wee. Oui. And then the the other one that I've been wanting to get and just recently got, this is the most recent one, was the, uh, and I think this might have been the last one in the series, was the Programmer's 
handbook. This one's a bit thicker than the others, but it has that same sort of uh, color. Uh, also computer. for the color computer, yes. Yes. So, got that one. It's so nice seeing books with proper spelling. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Brian, you got to get yourself a better camera down the road. Yeah, this thing here is kind of going in and out here. Yeah, it does weird. Yeah, you look better when it's out of focus, just so you know. So. <laughs> oh, and then, me. And then uh, <laughs> lastly, what I wanted to share, um, and these aren't all uh, TRS-80 uh, computer specific. They're one of those books that you know that gives examples for like VIC-20. Oh, yeah, it's like generic, generic basic code, right? So these are all some different adventure ones around there. Ooh. Some adventure game. That's really shiny and glossy, too. It's really very good condition. And then uh, the complete adventure game, Island of Secrets. Ooh. Wow. I like the artwork on that, too. That's really good. Yeah, these I've not seen before. No. And then uh, this is part of the uh, – I always mispronounce their name. Is it is it Usborne? Is that how they should pronounce Usborne? Osborne. Is that the letter it, U? It's, it's, it should be an O at the beginning. Yeah. Well, oh, this is yeah, this, this is this is the British one. Oh, is it? This oh, okay. is this is, oh, this is you. So yeah. Osborne. So here's a uh, weird computer games, and you know it's one of those that uh, skull thing is kind of cool. Weird computer. By the way, Osborne, they have a lot of their old stuff. From, like yeah, you can download the archives for free. Download the PDFs. Mm. Yeah. They yeah, they're on the Internet Archive, right? Yep. Well, even on their website, because they still make new stuff, but they've they've uh, freed up a lot of their vintage computer books that you can download uh, digitally. Oh, for free? Yeah. And then uh, another one in their series is Creepy. Computer. These are really cool, man. I love the artwork, and yeah, and it's so shiny. Is that still sealed? Is that uh, shrink-wrapped? Well, no, no. This one was – well, the other ones were a little different. This one actually has kind of a, a plastic okay. – um, It's super shiny. Dust jacket sleeve or something. Yeah, ah. like a jacket that's on it then, so – okay. Yeah. All right. And then the last one here, and we can move on, is uh, uh, Computer Video Games, Book of Adventures. And so this one is kind of a... Oh, man. I'm in heaven. These, these, this, is, this is like, ugh. These are like gold bricks as far as I'm concerned, man. This old stuff that... Uh, you know, and un- it's unfortunate now that, you know, our our generation is so digital and transaction based and, you know, um, you know, digital delivery that we're looking at stuff from 40 years ago. 40 years from now, what are people going to be looking at that, that we, you know, there, there's nothing, you know, there's very little paper anymore. You buy a computer, you used to get some books with the computers or even some plastic discs to reinstall your operating system. There's nothing, you get nothing with anything anymore, you know? So it's just oh, yeah. like, uh, it's like they're selling virtual running shoes now for thousands of dollars. Like what the hell? So it's just like, I, you know, I pray for future archeologists because they're going to have a much harder time reconstructing us when we when everything we do is all digital you know so um yeah i yeah. mean almost anything you buy these days either like you buy a new car and it comes there's no owner's manual there's a disc or maybe something so, yeah there's you, a qr code <laughs> right exactly yeah and if you buy a product there's like a little little uh you know hard paper insert with some sort of a website or like yeah. you said, a qr code that you can go yeah. to the manual for so exactly. right, well, if you want a good discussion on that whole subject of, of the virtual digital goods that everybody's doing now now they're doing stuff like digital artwork that you you get a digitally signed copy of artwork by somebody you know pixel artwork for thousand two thousand dollars type thing mm-hmm. um they did a, a a discussion on that on this um on boat and neil's show uh why am i pulling a blank in the name of it the, the retro general retro show that uh, okay. Neil 
and boat from Amigos do every week uh, okay. on Thursdays. And they had a big discussion on this because they're actually literally selling virtual running shoes for $5,000 and virtual artwork, which, I mean, you can literally take a picture of the JPEG on the screen and it's basically the same thing or even screenshot it or whatever. But it's been digitally signed, so then all of a sudden it's worth thousands of dollars. I just don't buy it. That's Not just, to me. Mm, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But does it have a, what is it, a New York Times label on the back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it just has a digital signature. Yeah, but, you know, it, I mean, it. that's the only difference. The, the other thing, too, is that most of the modern games now, you can buy virtual clothing and weapons and armor and accessories, and you're spending real money on virtual. Yep accessories for your video game character and there's a whole you know microtransaction in-game currency market and it's it's amazing that's that, that you at know. Least makes makes some sense to me because you're getting something like if you're really you really engage in that game you want to get further faster that yeah, yeah the whole they, they call that pay to win like there's a lot but of games get, that are free to play but pay to win type stuff so yeah to pay thousands <laughs> of dollars for a screenshot so you can have an embedded crypto code in it that says that it came from certain so-and-so what use is that um, Except to drain your bank account, I don't yeah. understand uh, it. Yeah, for you bragging you rights, hanging on the wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can't take it with you, All right? So there's right. things there's things that you can leave behind. I would but, call this a pyramid scheme scam. That's what. Yeah. I <laughs> now, can now this one? This wondering though is uh, something like that to me seems the best. The best way to pay for that would be through some type of uh, virtual cryptocurrency too. So if I'm not getting anything real, I should pay you with something that's not real too, right? So <laughs> I mean, well, there's I mean, actually there's problems yeah. with cryptocurrency now too because they found that like somebody passes away suddenly didn't give the code to anybody. They could have thousands and thousands of dollars invested. None of their kids, their spouses can get at it. And who gets that? It's at just it? gone. No, it's just gone because nobody has the key. Oh wow! Yeah. So you're you're locking all this supposed assets up into the ether that just disappears. So, mm. if anybody would like a digitally, virtually signed copy of anything from me, I will make you a special offer on those after the show and send me a DM. Okay, <laughs> yeah, five hundred dollars uh, minimum. And, yeah, ten percent introductory discount. Okay, cool. What else you got, Brian? That's it. Unless you want me to dig up some oh, more and burn what some more time. A slacker. Thanks for wasting our time, Brian. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> if you got a couple week break here, you would have been going for an hour. What the heck? Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Cool stuff. Thanks for sharing. As I, I love your book collection. One of these days, I just want to. I'm going to have to meet you in person just to oogle over your books because it's like books are things I love. I love the fact that people have them and I, I don't mind having some, but it's, it's a space thing. You can, yes. when you go to collecting and storing and displaying, it becomes a huge challenge at some point in time. So I really admire your book collection and your passion about them and you've got all your tricks to get them. And one of these days I just want to come make a trip and just geek out over your books. Um, <laughs> All right, so we're, let's just keep the train rolling. You ready to do some news news, Al Curtis Boyle? Sure. Are you going to do an intro or no? Yeah, I'm going to do the intro. You won't be able to hear it, but I'll run it. So when I just go ahead and start screen sharing now. I'll run the intro, and then we'll be ready for it as soon as we come back. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with Al Curtis Boyle. A new Muppet News Flash. All right, and we're back. Is this the Tim Linder thing? Because he was showing us on yes. Discord not too long ago. Yep. Yeah, you might know more about it than I do. <laughs> uh, well, we were talking about semi-graphics in general, and then Tim was like, well, I just found this cool thing you can do in the Coco 3 40-column text mode that's kind of like semi-graphics, and you know, it displays the top of a character. And this is like a 40-column mode, so I think it's the resolution is about 320 by 192. 
and um, you can end up getting some things on the screen that very much look like what we would see like in an SG24 screen, but with a lot more um, color and pixely, I think, combinations at our disposal. Yeah, plus you, you can shift the characters vertically, whereas in the semi-graphics it normally has to right, be the exact right, same right, scan right, line right, that right. would have been there in that character. So somehow he was poking around, pun intended, and figured out how to do this, and has <laughs> posted a few pictures in Discord. So... Um, yeah, because this allows you to basically mix text characters like Protectors 2 did or some of the other games that you know took the text characters and split up yeah. your scan line. So Except this is the Coco 3 hardware text mode, right? Is that what he's yes. using? Okay. Yeah. So he's showing here where you're stretching them out with different settings. He tells you where the settings are for the lines per raster, etc. Okay. That's what the normal... And that looks... You've, you've even got where this kind of scrolling off screen there, like line 27, 28 is off screen, right? So... Yeah. Um, well, he describes it here like this one has 21.3 rows of text. 21.3. 1.21 gigawatts. Because you've got you know three different vertical resolutions you can set these modes to. 192 scan lines, 199 scan lines, 225 scan lines. And then you're changing the number of lines per character as right. far as the gimme's rendering it. Yeah. <laughs> I was just playing around with that, figuring out the uh, 80 column mode. Um, you had to yeah, that's adjust. coming up. <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he goes oh, through all these different experiments here, going through them all, um, and then doing like the mixed, and here's seeing all some of the attributes where you're setting the foreground colors, the background colors, the blink underline, etc. Right, because this mode had attributes, right? So you could have yeah. um, flashing and, and different background colors. So well, the gimme actually has both. There, there's two different versions of the text modes you can do. You can do one that is two bytes per character, which is one is the ask character, which is 128 because it doesn't use the eight bit. Excuse me. And then the other, or sorry, and then um, it has the you know the three, three bits. So eight colors for foreground, eight colors for background, blink and underline. So it's two bytes per character. Yeah. And then you also have another one which is just a straight tech character where you can't change the colors. It's just a stock colors you set up for that particular palette set. But it takes half the memory. So a screen that normally takes four K would only need two K if you don't need color and everything else. So. Right. But it really opens up the possibility of what you can throw up on a screen. I mean, um, if you go into Nick Morenti's site, he's actually got the 225 scan line. He's actually got patches for basic. So if you want to do 225 scan line graphics modes, it actually will let you do an eight screen two or whatever, and it'll actually use the extra vertical. And then you can H print, you know, 28 lines of text instead of only 24, et cetera. So it gives you some options even in basic to fix them up. Hmm. And of course, we support the 199 mode in, in Nitrostein as the default too, instead of just the 192 that was the old basic and the old uh, OS9. At what point does the smoke come out? <laughs> well, the smoke's coming out of my ears already, just thinking about it. So, uh, yeah, I was going to get a bit more technical to see if we can get you to rage quit. But yeah, <laughs> that's neat. That's neat. So, did did Tim mention anything further on that one? Uh, well, I was I I I get on Discord on and off while I'm driving, so I I just hear pockets of things. But we were just uh, I was I was talking, and, and it was interesting that Erica was on. So we were just talking about semi graphics and this and that and the other. And Tim's like, "Well, speaking of semi graphics, here's what I just recently discovered you could do under Coco Three, and he posted up a few uh, snapshots and stream of consciousness. And that's the impetus of when I remember him first talking about this. So this is a much more this is probably more data here than what I well there's definitely more data here than what we discussed on the brief time I was on the call at that time um, it's cool stuff okay next up is a little surprise thing I, I got uh, sent by Dave 639 from our discord chat and he just gave it to me I think this morning um, to, to say if we needed something for the news 
So this is a Coco joystick test using his uh, Coco joystick split controller board that he's kind of custom building right now. So I thought I'd play. He plays a little bit of Star Spores here. Okay. And it blinks. It's got a blinky light. And the yep. cartridge is blinking too. Yep. <laughs> I was just going to mention that. So you got a blinky, blinky light noise. on the joystick and a blinky light on the cartridge. And, and I feel a seizure coming on. But I yep. like I like <laughs> blinky lights. I'm waiting for the new strobe version where it'll just yeah. look like a disco in my room every time I play. Exactly. Yeah, that is very cool. Mr. Dave is a hardware uh, virtuoso, if you will. Yeah, and he's doing a lot of interesting things like the like the cartridges, the custom yeah. printed cartridges yeah. and color and translucent with stuff. Yeah, he just chimed in and says, you can't have too many blinky lights. Exactly. <laughs> I'm waiting for him to build a full Coco 3, you know, Coco VGA style monitor made of nothing but LEDs. Yeah, blinky like, lights. you know, bigger LEDs so you can make a screen that's like 8 feet by 10 feet or mm. something like that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mr. Dave. Then there's here, Brian Weasler. Yeah, so I, I didn't know if this might show up a little bit better than his uh, auto unfocused camera. Yeah. Well, okay. it did that to spare us having to look at his face too clearly. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's the is that the rainbow? That's the actual yeah, rainbow that's one. That's the January 1983 okay. rainbow. So, I think if I remember correctly, this is the one it, it was an adventure themed issue to begin yeah. with, but it was also the launch of the first uh, rainbow. and see there you can game. see the cocoa a little bit better. It does look kind of semi-silverish cocoa one and you see a knight jumping out of the cocoa screen there. And those are chiclet keys, by the way. Chiclet keys, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, it's definitely Coco One. So you see the kind of wizard. He's got a freaking pet iguana. How many wizards had pet iguanas? I have to ask. But yeah, that. most of them only had wild iguanas. I don't know yeah. why he has a pet one. Okay, but, um, very cool. Yeah, a lot of fantasy art going on there. Yeah. So the, the, obviously the poster is a bit more extended because of the, the right, magazine right. one had to cut it short to fit it with right. the, you know, copyright. Yeah, I have honestly never heard of or even seen the fact that this poster existed and the fact he got one is so cool. I'm, I'm trying to remember, there was one, it might have been one of the late Rainbow Fest or the early Coco Fest. One of these was actually one of the uh, prizes given away, I think, at Coco Fest. Okay. Somebody had one of these. Now, Brian, I believe you said you've actually framed this, right? Like it's, are you putting in a full wooden frame or what's your plan? I just actually, I just went to the hobby store and I just picked up one of these inexpensive twelve dollar poster frames. Fra poster frames that you can get, mm -hmm. um, just so it you know it be kind of protected and you know yeah. I can display it a little bit. So um, you have. Yeah, the, I'm not sure how I'm yeah. not sure how far I'll go with it, but uh, I just wanted to do that because I wanted to do the same thing with the folks that have done like the Coco threes and the, the Coco two exploded like the, the printout yeah. of the 3D model and stuff of the yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, this would look good one. if you got it like a you know a mat around it just to kind of block off all the white uh, space, mm -hmm. you know, so get it kind of get matted and framed. Um, and yeah, you wouldn't have to spend a lot more money, but yeah, just like a nicer poster frame that's got a mat in it and uh, you know maybe real glass and not plastic and a nice hardwood frame. It would this would turn out to be hangable art right here, you know for sure. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and these are not, these are rare. I mean, they yeah. didn't sell a lot of these when I remember. Yeah. Yeah, the word rare, the word rare on eBay is thrown out so often on just about anything, <laughs> but this is truly a rare thing. So, um, cool stuff. Quite jealous, Brian. Yep, as usual. <laughs> okay, next up, uh, Coco Crew posted this, and I think he's cross-posted the other ones too. So basically, with uh, Tandy Assembly coming up, they're asking for some suggestions of a speaker to actually get in person. Now, that doesn't guarantee the speaker is going to show up, or they just want to see like who they'd be interested in. So if you want to, you can vote on the people that are already on there. And then they also got the add-in option here. So if you want to add somebody 
that would be a, a good speaker to have a Tandy assembly. So uh, go to the uh, Cooper Crew's uh, Facebook page and you can vote on that. I don't know how many people here are planning on attending, attending a Tandy assembly this year. I know quite a few have done it in the past. I plan um, to. I am not planning on anything yet because we just don't know where things are going. Yeah, so, that's true. Well, it's, it's, if they have it, it I'll it, be yeah. there. It's looking better. I mean, it's yeah. improving. So. Because we'll definitely want to see if we can get some people that kind of, you know, relay anything new that's happening there, too, of course. And with Coco Fest being in November, too, having events close to each other, sometimes you're going to have to make that Sophie's yeah. Choice, you know. Yeah. So, Real Talker. Next, yeah. So, next up, Mark Gideon on Facebook, uh, Coco Group here, posted photos of a fairly rare speech cartridge. I mean, it was fairly common back in the day, though probably not as much as the Tandy one, obviously. Um, so, this is Real Talker by Colorware. Um, and, and this also, this one came bundled with a software package that didn't include just, you know, it being able to type something and have it speak, but actually had an animated head that would talk. Was it the words. digitized ones? Were they? No, yeah, this is or, a real so- a hardware synthesis chip inside the cartridge. Right, but it didn't have the digitized people faces of real humans talking? Yes. Or was it, okay, yeah, I, I'll, I remember I'll seeing I'll show some, you that because I, okay. I pulled the ad out for you. So okay, you yeah, I remember seeing some pictures of that where you had like digital people um, talking. Okay. I mean, he's got quite the 2600 collection. Yeah, right, in the box. Yeah. And 5200, I think that is. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, yeah, it was something that they, they were asking questions about, uh, what exactly is it type of thing. And uh, this is the original Yeah, Yeah, here's the guy. Yeah, and it had, I think there was, a, there was a man and a woman, right? Wasn't there two different ones where you could have him talking, or was it just his face? Yeah, I'm trying to remember the difference between the super voice and the... This one, the super talker, because one had the inflections and stuff, and one I don't think did, but I might be Votrax SCO1 synth chip, uh, voice synthesizer chip was in the older ones, and then the Votrax SCO2 is in the one that was advertised as singing and all of that. It yeah. does the extra inflections. Yeah, because I did what, 12 bit inflection pitch or something like that? I can't remember now. Yeah, I'd have to look in the data sheet. Anyway, I don't know who the person's head is. It's obviously somebody they digitized, but think with the DS69, actually. Um, Colorware was uh, Coco Mix. Yep. You somebody Coco mentioned Max. that this guy looks like the guy from the, uh, what was that movie where his head blows up? Scanners. Scanners. Scanners, <laughs> yeah. Now, one thing I wanted to point out from the ad here, it's a speech programming by H. Punyon. I'm not sure that is, but programmed by Tim Jennison. That's a rather famous person that you know went on to do big, big, big things afterwards. Um, I mean, he's he's done a documentary movie recently. Uh, he's also the person that created um, stuff on the Amiga, uh, stuff on the PC. Like he's he's done a ton of stuff, all video oriented, and a lot of stuff for TV production. Uh, so there's various things he's done. Like Twit uses one of his big boards that's from his company uh, mm. to do all their switching. I think this is Tim Tim Franklin on on uh, Twitch, his pilot. 0352 says, I always thought this was an ad for the hair club for men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the unsuccessful club part. Yeah, know. right. Maybe it's a control group. I'm not sure. Listen, we're not all blessed with Nick Murata's, you know, flowing locks. So, but, but the point of this is that they were trying to get something that looked like natural, natural talking, like not just you see a lot of the old Nintendo games where just the mouth moves and nothing else. Right, right, right. This, this like the the eyes blink and shift a little bit like a person normally would talk mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. So it was a pretty interesting concept. I don't know how successful it was, but uh, it's it was neat. an interesting concept. So yeah, Tim Jennison was one of the co-founders of New Tech, yes. the video toaster company on the Amiga that rendered the original Babylon 5s. Wow. Yes. 
So, yeah. wow. and then after that, he started doing the uh, the video mixing boards that are used by TV stations and stuff, even to this day, for mixing multiple cameras and stuff. And then he did a documentary on painting. Oh, who's the one? The painter he did. He was a person that they were amazed how realistic he could make shadows and lighting. Mm-hmm. And Tim figured out how he did it back in the 15th or 16th century using special optical techniques that would project what you were looking at with a mirror down onto the paper. So he literally would just trace and shade it to match. Oh, my God. And that's how he did his super. And it's, it's a really awesome documentary. And I think if I remember, Penn and Teller sponsored the making of the documentary. Wow. So he's, he's still rather famous in, in various circles, actually. In fact, okay. didn't the Video Toaster win an Academy Award for one of the tech things? It might have, yeah. Yeah, like... He also, of course, wrote the original Color Max or Coco Max. Well, I can tell you the list of impressive things that I've done in my lifetime is really short. So, <laughs> <laughs> see one fathering children. Okay, we're done. <laughs> and even that's questionable. So, uh, <laughs> well, actually, no. You helped create Coco Talks. So that's a uh, okay. All right, one score one for me. <laughs> All right, so and um, Tim's Vermeer. The documentary yes, is that's called the one. Tim's, that's the one. Tim's Vermeer. It's excellent. Vermeer's the name of the painter, Tim's Vermeer, because he duplicated the technique and actually duplicated okay. the painting himself. Okay. And it's that, an awesome documentary. Go watch it if you haven't seen it. Already. And that came to us from Buck Owens. Thanks, Buck. Yes, thanks, Buck. I, I was Bucca. spacing on the name. Buck I was Owens. rather rushed this morning because I was running late, so I yeah. didn't get a chance to research as much as I usually do. Okay. Next up, John Lowry. John Lowry. You were talking about uh, doing some uh, Coco 3 programming for ED Column Modes. I'll let you explain it, and then I'll play the very short clip. Um, yeah, it's not really particularly impressive. I didn't even think it was going to make the news. Um, but I was doing some studying to figure out how to kick the Coco 3 into ED Column Mode. And I was getting very, you know, like intense into the like lines per row because it changes the spacing, and you have like 24, 25, or 28 lines or. Uh, and also I did stumble across the mode. I don't know how I did it, but I was trying to figure out how to get it into the proper, you know, 80 column mode. Um, and I got, I got kicked into a mode where, where I was poking just the letter a, uh, into the right memory locations to get it to display. And it wasn't, I was expecting it to you know, poke the letter A and then poke an attribute and then poke the letter A, but it was all a bunch of A's and it only filled half the screen. So I had to double it. And I'm like, huh, there's no attribute in this mode. I, I discovered there was no attribute character. Uh, and like you said, it took half as much memory. Um, and eventually I got it figured out. And then I, I do it from basic where I just kind of poke things and make things work by poking. And if you could do it by poking, then machine language is easy. And I, I went in and wrote the, the machine language program to uh, kick it into 80-column mode or actually clear the screen area, um, you know, adjust the uh, the MMU so you have an area where you can actually write to to write the text and, uh, and you know, clear the screen, wrote the text, and kicked it into 80-column mode. So it's very quick, very simple, but it took me two days to get there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's complicated. If you're, if you're used to dealing with the Coco 1 and 2, where you just literally you poke a value and it, it's on the screen, and whether you're in graphics mode or text mode, it doesn't matter. But everything's there. I mean, it's all mapped in. You just have to figure out where to, where to basically put the screen, but you can change it. Mm-hmm. On the Coco 3, it gets more complicated, because normally all high-res text and high-res graphics are mapped outside of your basic area. So you don't normally have access to those screens at all, unless you fiddle with the MMU. 
then right. you got to learn how the gimme does things like how do you set it up with attributes without attributes how do you do attribute bytes you know because that's new on the Kogo 3 as well so it's 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 a not it's a pretty big hill to jump the first time which is yeah. what you had discovered but i mean in the end you just basically put the value i think it's 36 hex into um F, uh, ffa2 and then the range 2000 to 3000 plus yeah. ak to 2000 to 4000 is um writable and then you can write to the the screen area and as you can see there i cleared the screen and uh put some you know wrote some text just like yeah. a because i mean on coco one two if you want to clear the screen you just store spaces or whatever yeah. character you want to clear the screen with and here though you got to worry about attribute bytes which is not the same as the character bytes you have to store double values all the time and right yeah as a matter of fact i was doing that with the d register so i could put 20 yeah you put zero. the attribute byte yeah. in one byte and then the character in yep. the other Yep. Okay. Now, a bit of nerd trivia. The uh, If you have a 40 or 80 column Nitrous 9 boot screen, um, you know where it says Nitrous 9 boot and puts the names of all the modules as they're loading in, that's actually done in the 40 or 80 column mode without the attribute bytes because we had to compress this to fit in this tiny little program that's part of the uh, the boot module. I think it's got to be 400 and some odd bytes or less, including all the code to set up the hardware and set up loading the next part of the operating system and everything else. So everything had to be compressed into this tiny thing. And having to worry about all the attribute bytes is actually starting to make it too big, so we actually strip that out and just set the mode to be there is no attribute bytes. And then once the full loss is loaded and the windowing system is loaded, then it runs the normal attribute file stuff. But that very first white boot screen that you'll see on ease of use for some of the Nitrous 9 distributions there is using that no attribute version. Cool. Interesting. N- yeah. Nerd trivia. And I was just trying to put Stevie to sleep and didn't no, work. No, didn't work. Didn't work. I'm, I want to see John's video. Oh, we played already. You saw it already. Oh, that was <laughs> it. it. That's the whole thing. Oh, like huh. I said, it wasn't particularly impressive. You could do oh, basic. Oh, okay, okay. I thought that was something was going to follow that once you did that. No, that was basically it. it was basically oh. kicking it into any column mode, clearing the screen, and putting up some text. I could have put up some. I yeah. should have put up some uh, some attribute stuff too to show that I could control the attributes. But I mean, I got that all figured out. Oh, okay. So no, that's still do cool. I want in eighty columns from. Uh, from assembly language. Yeah, but the one yeah. reason I put it in the in the news, I mean, technically it's not really what I call a news item per se, but because a lot of people are getting interested in programming uh, in assembly language, including Stevie, that mm-hmm. having some of these beginner things presented rather than, you know, jumping into, you know, a, a Nick Renty's level thing or something I would spout off about or something like that. It's nice to do these beginning things. So when you start hitting or trying to do these things yourself, you'll realize the same issues that John just had to work through and it might be fresh in your mind. You know, I have to think about attribute bytes, and I have to think about you know. MMB Maybe I should post the code that I did and then comment yeah. it and show yeah. exactly what each. Uh, I still think we should do a, an assembly language, you know, Cocoa Three specific assembly language uh, series of some sort, or even just do an occasional dip into it. You know, just so people can kind of know because programming the graphics and the and the uh, the tech screens, the higher tech screens on the Cocoa Three is a fair bit different than what you're used to on the Cocoa One and Two. And we have that kind of documented already from, you know, Steve York series and, and some other series that have been done in the past as well. So, Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of Cocoa 3 specific stuff. I think there's a fair amount of general assembly, yeah. but Cocoa 3 specific, especially getting into some of the, um, you know, gimme based modes. I don't think there's a ton of resources for that. Um, no, there's a Chibia Kumis or whatever the guy from Britain that does, yeah. does all the different processes. He did do a Cocoa 3 specific chunk of one episode where he did cover some of this stuff yeah but he's he's already starting with you know a, he starts it off as if you know basically a bit about assembly language already and he's just teaching you what's different on the coco 3 versus blah 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 
Yeah, he, he, he kind of jumps in a little bit further up upstream. You know, you're, you've already learned a few things before you want to tackle his video. So something where, where John's going right from scratch, I think, is an, a better approach for us to... Right, to right. And uh, I think Alan Murphy is just mentioning that there's a book that does it. But I was kind of more referring to, like, modern, like, online resources like YouTube videos or blogs or whatever. Um, yeah. As far as Cocoa Three specific, yeah, because Cocoa Three semi language books. I mean, the only one I really know of is Lawrence Tepold's. Yeah, that's what that's what that's what Alan was referring to. Yeah, there's yeah. a yeah, and that's part book. of a two series set. I mean, he's got his thick one on the Cocoa One and Two, which covers the Sam, the VDG, and blah blah blah. And then he's got the Cocoa Three Addendum, which covers the new stuff on the Gimme and you know anything that's changed. And that was actually the one that I used was the Tepold book. And but even at that, it's it's not like it's that straightforward. And no, it's, it, it's basically of, an addendum, uh, like technical reference is what it, it's designed yeah. to be. Yeah, and it took me a while to kind of dig through it and figure it out. Yeah. Actually, what I wound up doing was putting it with 80 and then peaking the uh, init 0, FF98, and FF99 registers to see where they were set. And that got me like almost all the way there. It wasn't quite exactly right, but then I studied the tables and, and figured out the last things I needed to do to get exactly what I wanted. And... Uh, and bang, I was there. But it took two days, and part of it was a stupid mistake that I had made where I loaded the A register with something, and then I stuck something in between in the middle of a another routine accidentally. And I was and like, why does it keep doing it? Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. I, I went back, and I finally started from the very beginning was going step by step, and I found my mistake, and I was like, duh, and then fixed my mistake, yeah. and it worked. Yeah, get used to that. That happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> It does. It's so also, hard to as, do, or easy was, to do, man. Yeah. Sixty was saying uh, as kind of a half joke here, now that uh, can I run Rogue in 80 column, no attributes for extra speed redraws? Well, I won't be changing Nitrous 9 you know, for our version of Rogue uh, to do that because I don't want to add in all the non-attribute support. But <clears throat> Sixty, if you're serious about doing that, if you want to do it for one of the Dragon Plus boards or something with 80 columns, I can send you the source code to Rogue because uh, I have it disassembled. It's partially commented at this point because i've done some modifications to it so i if you really are interested yeah i can send you that and there you go cool next up this was kind of cool too uh steve adolf it basically made a custom fd502 controller board clone and much smaller as you can see here because he's using more modern chips um but he he ended up making a few of the boards you're getting a few of the boards manufactured you have to do these minimum orders for board orders and I guess the first one he did is working fine for him. So now he has a few that he might be selling off here or is selling off here. So he kind of explains, you know, some of the details of it works with five and a quarter and three and a half inch drives works on, you know, double density, uh, can take different sizes of EPROMs. You can have up to four ROMs on it. it comes with can stock candy DOS and you got some room there for other DOSs. We want to add a few extra ones, like, you know, YA DOS or HDB DOS or whatever. So fully tested, get in touch if you're interested. I don't know because this was posted back on May 4th if he's already sold uh, the ones he's got available out. But I thought it was kind of cool that he actually you know, duplicated it and, and compressed the space. So if you actually have real floppies you want to hook up and your controller's fried for whatever reason, this is a pretty nice solution. So I don't know if anybody, I don't know if there's enough demand for real floppy controllers at this point to make a manufacturing run of these. But that's not a bad idea. And it's super small. So yeah, you could fit it in a regular cart. You don't need a you know disc size card or a two-pack size card. That's what Scripps is for, right? Exactly. <laughs> Sacrifice the scripts and cart, right? So. Yeah, I know. I know Rick Adams and others always pick Dino Wars, but I, I got too many kids that I know that really yeah. like Dino Wars. So I actually I like Dino Wars. I always did. So, yeah, so, yeah scripts it or maybe um, personal finance or something. GFL like that. football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Hey, <clears throat> next up, we have a black screen. So on to the next. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so this one here is a Sheldon McDonald, and he's you know just released his Treasure Island Defense, which he made both the uh, PSG version and the Game Master cartridge versions of them. So he's been we're doing a bit more working with the PSG specifically because the PSG is not just a sound card. It's also got extra you know joystick controllers on it, and it's got 512k of flash ROM on it. So it's kind of like a multi-purpose card. So what he was thinking of doing here is actually making a uh, a menu system so that you can put some other images on there besides his Treasure Island Defense game, and uh, have a menu so that you can select a game when you boot up the Coco and you can just jump and play whatever you wanted to. So I'll have him do a bit of an explanation of what he's been doing here, but that's kind of the summary version. It's only two and a half minutes. I'll probably play the whole thing. Uh, you tell me if this is loud enough. No. Hey, Sheldon McDonald here. Yep, um, loud enough. I was doing some testing to see if I could flash my... Sold by uh, Ed Snyder, ZipsterZone.com. ...to the PSG mm. board. And uh, the first few attempts failed, but uh, I managed to figure out that this board actually boots with uh, the first 8K repeated. Um, so I just had to change one of the... Uh, one of the memory banks to get the full 16k um, and this is the result it seems to there's be, this uh, game seems to be working Google yeah. VGA and sound chip that is so cool cool so this gives me a lot of ideas because this uh, this board really has 512k of flash ROM available on it. Uh, it would be be quite simple to add um, a lot more software to this for sure. So what I'm thinking of doing is creating a new graphic uh, boot menu. Um, I see Ed Snyder has uh, like uh, has um, DriveWire and uh, a test firmware on there. So I thought it'd be neat if uh, I added a graphical menu to that and uh, maybe put put a few programs on there that uh, people would like to have access to. Um, anyway, um, yeah, this is actually giving me quite a few ideas now. Um, I'm curious, uh, just as a question, um, what programs would you like to see on this in in a boot menu? Um, Color scripts. Yeah, just write in the comments below, and I'm curious to see what people have to say. But there's no reason why we couldn't add, you know, a bunch of games or whatever to it. There's yeah. 512k of RAM there, or ROM available. So why not use some of it? All right, uh, I'll be curious to see what people people think about changing the firmware for this device all right thanks for watching that is cool did you ever make a case for that did ed make a case for that i don't know anybody did has anybody yes it comes with a case okay i think that the challenge that because there's there's a lot of flash solutions on the market there's coco flash there's mini flash there's a bunch of them um even even the coco sdc has a few banks but none of them have uh, any type of GUI to manage or, or, or use them. So what he's talking about is a great idea. You know, to be able to visualize what you have and choose what you want to boot from. 
Um, and I think, um, I think, uh, wasn't, uh, Nick Morenti's doing something in this space too, yes. where he was working yeah. on a way to load it up and create a menu to, to see what's on there. <clears throat> yeah. And like this one here, it's, it's, it's flash ROM combined with the hardware sound. And, and somebody well. else is mentioning too, not only flash ROM, but there was something else just from the flash Ram too, right? Isn't there just... Who was saying yeah, that? Was that you, Alan? In Nick's case, you can flash like high scores and stuff as well as you can flash like different games. Yeah. Like, say if you want Gunstar. Well, the PSG has both flash ROM and another 512K of static RAM in it. So you could actually use it as an MMU. Yeah. Okay. Like this is an old purpose card because this has extra, you know, like the, the special joystick ports. It also has the, uh, the sound chip in it you know, and flash ROM and static RAM. So it's a pretty decent multi-purpose card here this is some of the design work that uh, sheldon initially did for some of the characters he was thinking of using on the uh, the menu and i think he actually did an update recently here yeah he mentions here so far the menu looks like this with the text moving the animated icons will be below that for you to select what you want to run from it so he's actually going to not have just static little low-res images to choose from they're actually going to be animated oh neat so this will be, and you can kind of catch the ghost in here yeah. it's moving, but it'll be moving across the screen. Then it'll have a menu, animated menu below that of whatever ROM images you have on there. To, to How do. cool is that? Yeah, what I'd like to see is using the Coco PSG as an MMU as well to put the OS 9 boot in one bank and then use the flash RAM or the static RAM as an MMU like the Moo does. Yeah, like a 512K Coco yeah. 1, basically. Yeah, and put level two on there yeah with the coco with vga support added yeah that's a good idea you're gonna you're gonna do that for us or <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's gonna start with hey curtis, hey, curtis. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, i'm gonna i'm gonna officially delegate that to bill mm-hmm. <laughs> please do management has <laughs> Yeah, actually, we're kind of co-managers, though, so I can't really do that. <laughs> okay, next up, uh, Don Barber posted a message on Facebook about a manual from Tandy for the Coco 3 diagnostic disc. Now, I know there's some Coco diagnostic discs that I've seen before and some other people have posted before. I'd heard about a Coco 3 one. I've never seen it. He's never seen it. He, we, the manual's on the archive. Um, we, you know, it's a few people. Paul Shoemaker said he's also tried to look for it, too. Has anybody on the panel and anybody listening wants to send in afterwards or send in the chat? ever seen the actual disc for this because it's distributed by Tandy for testing the Kogel 3 and it tested up to 512k of, of RAM, it tested double speed, it tested a whole bunch of things and was official from Tandy. Has anybody here ever seen that aside from the manual, which I'll show you in a second? I've never even heard of it. But I've looked for it too and yeah, that would be cool to have in the archive. Yeah, because here's the actual manual itself. So this is official Tandy. This is not third party stuff. Knows from old Tandy there, but I'll just get to the table of contents. You can the, see it's copyright 1987, so it's definitely Coco 3 specific. Mm-hmm. And a ton of coverage for every single separate program they've got in there. Is the and text searchable? I haven't tried to see. Just it's click not that big of a manual. Try and select text and see if, if you can highlight text on this. Yeah. Or if, yeah, you can. Okay, so it's searchable. It's only ten pages, so it's not that big of a deal to look through it anyway. But basically, you can see here, like, here's a memory test, the IRQ test, a fast IRQ test, 64 color test, cochlear video test, CPU speed test, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
even pallets has to be out of pallet. Or maybe that's pallets. I don't know. Or maybe. Oh, yeah. Actually, you might be right there. But yeah. So because it tells you like what the programs do, what they're testing, et cetera, here. So this would have been quite nice to have if you're trying to figure out, you know, if you've got any problems with the COVID creep. Um, but it seems to be, it's not vaporware. It obviously was out and the Tandy technicians used it. But it seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth as far as actually having the executable programs for it. Just the manual seems to still exist. So any of you out there in Cocoa Land watching this or listening to it on a podcast uh, have this, please uh, send it up to the Color Computer Archive at colorcomputerarchive.com because we'd love to get that in there to match the manual Absolutely. and preserve that bit of history. Anyway, quite quite cool. I, I Like I said, I've heard about it. I've never seen it before either. So, okay. Actually, that's one question for the panel. For the people that actually worked with Radio Shack or worked at Radio Shack, do any of you ever remember seeing this software run as opposed to just hearing about it? No, the I was diagnostic cartridge. Well, this uh, was a was, disc. This wasn't cartridge. Oh, disc. Yeah, I was a tech during the time, and I don't remember it. Yeah. Hmm. I used to hang out with the techs when I worked at the, uh, the computer center, and I don't remember seeing that either. Are you just bragging? <laughs> no, I wasn't a tech. I, was, I used to hang out with the techs. <laughs> well, I did yeah. work there. So I just, the original that. diagnostic cartridge was designed for the original Coca One, so it only tested up to 16K of RAM and it tested your joysticks and whatever else. I do. Now, that one was fairly common. You could buy that one. And that was that was sellable to the public. This, as far as I know, was only internal to Tandy. It was never sold as a mm, interesting. Something the customer can get. So maybe this was only like at the big repair centers or something like at Vorbeck. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. If, if Richard Lorbieski was around, we could ask him. But uh, yeah, well, Richard, if you if you catch the show at some point, let us know. Cool. Robert Sieg, MC10 MC10 news. Yeah. So this here was uh, basically a demo of some screenshots from the MC10 to show the different colors that are available. And there's actually twelve colors total you can pick. There's a standard nine black plus the eight you know normal ones. Then there's the dark green, of course, for inverse video, which is different than the other green. And then if you switch the color set, there's a dark red and an orange that's different than the regular orange. Um, so we kind of go through here to show you what the different modes look like. Unfortunately, kind of shrunk here. This is semi-graphic six, where you get uh, two by three dots per semi-graphics character. So it's a higher res of 64 by 48 instead of by 32. Okay. And this is that the one, one that most people miss here. Like, this is where you can see the real orange, quote-unquote. And then the orange of the text color is actually... Kind of peach. Yeah, it's a different. And then, of course, you got the darker red up there, too, that's darker than this in the middle. So you actually... I mean, if you manipulate, if you're using, like, you know, space size characters, 32 by 16 is a mode, mm -hmm. you actually can choose up to 11 colors simultaneously on the screen at once. Yeah, and um, Simon Jonasson did, like, a flame demo that uses yeah. mode because you could get like red yellow orange and then the peach and the dark red colors right so to manipulate all that in the semi-graphics mode gives you much more shades of you know fire yeah. so he did a really cool fireplace yeah, it's, looking it's really unfortunate that the mc10 didn't put in the hardware support for the sam to be able to do the higher semi-graphics modes because they max out at sg6 and you're done yeah uh, but on the Cocoa, I mean, this 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 color set's exactly the same. It's the same VDG, so you can do those types of effects. We've seen some Dragon demos and stuff that use that, too. That, uh, so so how does the MC-10 determine where, where to look in memory for... Because the SAM used to tell the VDG, or the SAM tells the VDG where to look, right? Like, Well, that's one of the reasons when you add a 20K expansion to MC-10, you can't use any of that RAM for video. It has to stay in the original 4K. 
So I don't know if it's completely hard coded or if it's just limited in the first, you know, hardwired memory. I, Ed Snyder could explain that a lot better, or maybe sixty or somebody. But yeah. Next Robert up, Sieg, um, again. Robert Sieg here, and this is a combination of two retro things at once. It's the MC10 printing, uh, attempting to print graphics on a TP10, the toilet paper printer, as I call it, uh, which, of course, is a thermal printer is what it really stands for. Now, this is a narrow, you know, thermal paper thing, you know, half the size of a, they're sold on a Just think gas station pump receipt. Yeah, pretty close to that. Yeah. Same technology, for sure. Um, yeah. The thing is, this printer was never designed to do graphics. So what he's doing here is he's mixing text characters together to try to simulate graphics. And this, these are some pictures of some experiments he's done uh, of trying to, you know, combine different things over top of each other. Also just expanding larger characters to make. It looks like he's decoding alien DNA right now. Yeah, this looks like the Matrix. Kind of like <laughs> <thing. laughs> Black and white version of the Matrix. Yeah, right? Yeah. But it, it does give him the opportunity to create, try to create some low-res graphic screen dumps and stuff here that you could do. Of the graphics character, which normally that printer has nothing. There's no right. graphic blocks, nothing. It's just text. Uh, yeah, so, the the, uh, the alpha symbols are built into firmware, I'd imagine, right? The uh, bitmap yeah. for them. Yeah. So yeah. what he's doing here is he's actually telling it to print on the same line, the several characters over top of each other, so we can actually create even you know, shades. He's planning on trying to experiment. With oh, gray shades like gray shades. That so clever. To help simulate, you know, the fact that you know, an orange is brighter than a red or whatever you're trying yeah. to screen. So he's been experimenting with it. He's, he's not all the way there yet, but uh, here he's doing some mapping, you know, figuring out how the different characters mix together, etc., and how to try to combine it with the semi-graphic characters to figure out how you're going to shade it to look like that. So I'm interested to see where these experiments go. I mean, I'm imagining because it's a completely text-based printer, you probably won't get perfect, but you might be able to get something pretty useful. Okay, next up in the Dragon... Uh, John Whitworth of Dragon Plus Electronics, who make the Dragon Plus board, which is that 80-column card with an extra 64K of RAM that we've shown in a couple of shows previously. So the card has a separate video output normally. So you'd have the two monitors, where you'd have the, the, the native 32-column VDG on one, and then you'd have the 80-column card, and you'd write some driver that would tell it to kick over the other monitor. He's actually getting it to auto-switch on the same monitor now. Oh, wow. Look at that. So that's more running like a Kogo 3 now, where you can actually have you know multiple windows, literally, on, say, you know, Nitrous 9 Level 1. I wonder how he's getting it back to the Coco. Well, it's, a, it's a little switch, I think. It's a programmatic switching, so it's a bit of hardware to do this, and it kind of allows the two signals to be switched on the board for the output to the monitor, the composite monitor or whatever. So he's just set it up that there's a hardware address you can poke something to, and you can just tell it, you know, I want to switch over to the 80-column card or the, you know, the graphics card that's also on there. Or I want to switch back to the 32 column. But, but so then is he basically piping the VDG through the MSX board? I'm not sure if it's combined on the board or if it's just after the board that it determines which one or just before. I'm not sure exactly how it works. Um, I'm hoping to actually ask him about that later on. Okay. Myself, personally. <laughs> and this is uh, Parasurat, of course, has been helping with the, uh, the MSX2 Plus stuff, which is the... Uh, you know, the sprite chip and stuff that's been added on with 16 colors, etc. Uh, so he's actually getting the auto switching working on that as well. So this is showing off the MSX2 Plus. And it's oh, I'm getting those two boards confused too. So that was the 80 column board, but not the yeah, the sprite Dragon Plus. Okay. Also, yeah. okay. 
So this this one here is using the graphics chipboard, and he's showing the switching between the two here on one single monitor here as well. And I'll let this whole one play here because it's only twenty seven seconds. Nah. And Parasurat did the game board. So. That looks so cool. Very specky looking. And look at all these colors, man. Oh, he's like kind of shi uh, shifting, the, shifting screen the screen to screen get it centered, and then boom. I get this. It's even got the. Uh, you see how the blue lines like. Really good. Very smooth. Yep. You can even see like the screen res is different. Like if you see the the border size changes because there's like I think yeah. 320 pixels wide on the MSX2 board. It's kind of like the Coco 3 modes. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just wondering because this is a modern uh, digital display. If the aspect ratio is not tweaking, where if this was on a CRT, a four by three CRT, it would probably you wouldn't see that top border at all. I would imagine. Yeah, probably not. Um, because it reminds me of the Coco 3, like when you switch over to an H screen with a border, you, that's yeah. basically what it would look like, yeah. unless you reset the pal border palette register. I don't know enough about the MSX2 chip to know if it has a border palette register, maybe Parrot just hasn't set that yet on this early beta of it. But the switching between the two and the fact you only need one monitor instead of two dedicated monitors, that's a big plus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those, so. And this one here um, is another Dragon one. Now this one here... I don't normally include for sale items unless it's like a new product or a commercial product, like I mentioned on the FD502 clone board. Um, but this one, he posted seven cartridges for the Dragon. The guy's named Mark Elliott, and uh, he's just you know, trying to get some information on them. But these are all in the original boxes, and these are cartridges, not tapes. Interesting. And you'll see, you know, they've got some ones Berserk. like the demonstration. Starship yeah. Chameleon, Cyrus Chess, Astro Blast, Ghost Attack. Wow. Now, some of these we did see in cartridge form here, like Cyrus was sold by Tandy here. So that, uh, but that there. wasn't on it. Was that on cartridge? Yeah. Okay. Cyrus was. Okay. All the rest were third party. Starship Chameleon was by Computerware. Mm -hmm. Astro Blast was by Mark Data Products, as, as was Berserk. Cosmic Invaders, I think, Spectral. Um, Ghost Attack was a relabeled Spectral. Um, Ghost, Ghost Gobbler. Gobbler. Okay. Yeah. And the demonstration apparently is quite a rare one from some of the comments. Uh, to still have in its original box. That was the actual demo that they used in the stores for Dragon from Dragon itself to demonstrate Ooh. the Dragon. Okay. So not only does he have the cartridge of the Dragon demonstration program, which I think is a little bit rare, but he's actually got the actual case for it still, which is apparently exceedingly rare. <laughs> Mr. Dave says this looks like a Chinese takeout. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. That's cool. Next uh, up, we've had some people that have repainted their cases. I think Round Devil, you have a black TDP or and the Coco Darth Vader Coco. Now we got a Darth yep. Vader Dragon. Yep, and oh. and the label because it's got a black background actually fits it quite well. Yeah, 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 it does. And another guy had done that too, and he's even got a matching CRT to go oh, with it too. So that look just at that. Looks, that looks awesome. You don't. And the keyboard because it's power. black and white fits it as yeah. well. So I mean, it's just it's perfect all the way around. Imagine the sh shine of the nuclear green. <laughs> Coming out of that, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that it was really pretty neat. pretty cool to see the dragon people are also getting into the case mod stuff like some people here in, the, in North America have done too. And and the black really looks well. I think actually on the dragon yeah. it looks better because of the keyboard they yep, had. Yep, yep. And the color of the stickers, I think it actually matches better than the Coco did. No offense to Ron or anybody else who's done the third Yeah, theater. no, it looks good. Privileges. So back... Back in the early 80s, Apple sold um, basically black Apple IIs through Bell and Howell to schools. So mm. they've been known for 
you know, 40 years as the Darth Vader Apple. Okay. Yeah, I think didn't they sell? They, I think Apple themselves sold some black uh, Macintosh, like a, one of the LCs or something, five twenty or something. Didn't they? Yeah, that would have been later though, a decade or so later. But yeah, all the black uh, original black Apple twos, they also had Bell and Howell on. Okay. Well, wasn't the uh, wasn't the uh, um, the the Mac that had a TV tuner in it? Wasn't that black? The, yeah, I think Mac, so. I don't know if he, it's Mac a TV. Yeah. yeah, Mac TV. That looks cool. I like it. Yeah. Uh, next up, this is a called Atari Users, the name of the YouTube person. I don't know if uh, Sloopy knows who that is, because I don't. Is Sloopy still in the call? Sloopy, are you awake? Are you out there? Okay. Okay. So what he's doing here is reviewing the Neotech NTK022 SCART to HDMI Convert Upscaler. And I decided to test it on three different machines, the Atari 800XL, the Atari 130XC, and the Dragon 32. Okay. So I won't, I won't go through the whole review here. Um, maybe it kind of shows what the box looks like. I'll just kind of show it there. Scalar video converter, SCART to HDMI. Okay. Well, so this would be compatible with um, Jason's. With, with the um, switcheroo. Yeah. Okay. Got a switcher for 720 versus 1080p. As long as it supports composite as well, which I guess is okay. So right. this, is- yeah. So this is an Atari demo. And look at all the be- noise that's going across. This. Unless that's on purpose. Is that supposed to be a star field behind that text? Yeah, there? that's a star field. Okay. It's one of their demo scenes stuff. Yeah. And then showing the text screen a bit. Pretty clean. So what's the output from Atari that gets you SCART? What's what's Tari's normal video out? I thought it was just RF. Was there a? Oh, that's com- a good question. Um, I don't I remember. Think it's composite. Is it composite? Okay. I think that they have RF too, but I'm pretty sure they have composite also. Quality. I think it's too close to call. Now we're going to try on a dragon. 32. Okay, let's try it on dragon. So first of all, we're going to be uh, showing the computer connected directly to the TV via a scart lead. And then we'll show it with the uh, video scalar converter box. Okay, this is what you'd normally expect to see from composite out the VDG. Yeah. It's not and a little bit blown out. And yeah, not super, not super crisp. And a bit of bleed on the right there looks like. Yeah, yeah. So the dragon screen looked a bit ropey through the scart. Okay, well, we can, we can make out the text. It's not too bad. Now let's have a look at what it looks like with the upscaler box. Well, because he's pointing a camera at it, it's still hard to tell. I think we can all agree that the picture looks noticeably worse using the uh, video converter to oh. the HMI box. Really? So that's uh, a win for just using a scar cable on that one. Oh, really? Okay. Now we're going to take a look at the uh, picture on Atari. Yeah, so it's not a positive review. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it, it does show you some of the things to check out for, though, because, I mean, it, it did it did display fine. Like, it, it displays that, you know, it's recognizable what it's supposed to be. And, I mean, the text, it's I still think, blown out, but it's it's it seems to be crisper in certain ways. But 
I think but you're getting more. Patterns. I think part of the problem with the VDG is that for whatever reason, it just gives you shite output. It's just, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can not, in, not it, really inspect the gimme's famous for that. too. Yeah. And so, you know, the modern technologies are really showing some of the flaws in that the uh, some of that tech that we didn't notice on analog TVs. There was so much tolerance and forgiveness and the crispness of those tubes and stuff. The dot pitch wasn't there. So we didn't really notice it as much when you had all low tech stuff connected to each other. But now the, the newer digital technology really reveals a lot of the shortcomings in this. Yeah. I, I'm also thinking that that particular Neotech is only scaling up composite, not the full RGB analog. Oh, because uh, the switcheroo site has a whole article about what to look for in the difference. So the SCART, just because there's a SCART connector and cable doesn't mean it's doing analog RGB. So Which is what SCART's designed around, right? Yeah, so whatever the Dragon is outputting was like basically composite. All you've done is add an upscaler that's the same as the upscaler that's in the TV. If you're not getting analog RGB out of the Dragon, then there's really nothing for the little box in the TV or on the desk to do so yeah, that makes sense it's almost yeah. it's becoming a passive pass-through of the same signal that's all he's doing is passing through the same signal and yeah it's going to look the same or maybe worse because you've got an extra generation of, of noise and stuff yeah radiation going on in the mm. that's, so yeah, that's, yeah you got to change how you're getting the signal out of the dragon to begin with into that start table instead of composite you need to pull the rgb now, now this is a similar conversation that I was just having with Brian Weasler last weekend. He was asking me about com- uh, composite captures, where I've got two different devices that will convert composite directly to HDMI. And one of them is this very passive, and I have another one that does do some upscaling. And I do notice a difference when I try to do some MC10 stuff, where when I'm trying to record off of the MC10 composite mod I have, the upscaler on that one really makes a difference in the clarity of the text screens versus the pass-through one. So, um, but that one is designed specifically to be looking at upscaling uh, a composite source versus this, which is more trying to upscale an RGB source. Yeah, that's exactly what uh, what Alan was talking about. There's, uh, yeah. I actually picked up I picked up this cable here, just recently um, off of eBay. And it actually, is this a, is my last news story, Brian. So let me stop sharing it. You can actually show that for everybody. So, then oh, okay. so this is Dragon DIN to uh, SCART. So it's a passive composite. Yep. Com- basically, it's composite on SCART. Yeah, correct. It has um, it has the cable that, that would plug into the back of the Dragon. And these are available on eBay. There's a guy that's selling them. And uh, that's, that's correct. Also, it's not doing RGB. It's basically just going from the the composite out of the dragon to a SCART connector. And I tried plug it into the box that I use with the um, switcheroo. And uh, yeah, I really did not get an improved picture. Basically the same results as that guy on the video was getting. So yeah. Yeah, the SCART has a composite pin on it as well, which yes. the switcheroo is using as uh, for some of the sync signal. Correct. But there's three other pins that are used in the switcheroo and are in analog RGB where it's got mm-hmm. an, a red pin, a green pin, and a blue pin. And that's where you're going to see a much sharper signal on the output. And that's yep. what Jason uses. He uses the uh, composite signal just for the timing, if I remember, and then he uses the RGB for the actual output in the Cocoa 3. Correct. So you could theoretically tap the RGB pins on the VDG directly, but you'd have to modify you know, inside the case to do that. Okay. Yep. 
So that, that explains it. Right, that is an RGB upscaler and not a composite upscaler. But I had some high hopes that maybe this cable might give me a nice output of the from the dragon and you know, it really wasn't much of an improvement other than I got HDMI output. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you if you have a TV and then you don't have a monitor with composite in or a TV that does not have composite in cuz some don't these days, at least you can plug it into so that thing I sent you a screenshot of, Brian, might be a better choice in that case. If you just take your normal DIN to composite on a Dragon and then run that through the uh, composite to HDMI upscaler that I showed you, that will probably yes. yield a better result than this thing in Jason's box. Yep. In this case, yeah. yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, one of the things about the retro hobby, you know, everybody's had to jump certain hurdles but for me trying to be able to record things and capture things it's just a never-ending learning process on trying to retrofit these you know really antiquated analog outputs to get them to show up on anything modern you know and so that's been a real learning process for me where I've bought a lot of things just with dumb luck saying let me buy this and see what this does let me buy this and see what that does and not knowing you know what goes on and so to our to the the guy who you found today with the video who was that again curtis the guy who did his coco 2 thing um wretch uh <clears throat> old games and something or another he was saying he couldn't get it to capture you know yeah. and the thing that um you know the thing with you when you're trying to capture rf out um, I've purchased newer TV tuners, you know, digital to analog TV tuners that just don't do it because RF out technically wasn't a broadcast signal. Whereas a TV tuner is looking for an over-the-air broadcast signal. And what the these RF switch boxes were doing was basically hacking the CRTs on the TVs and writing straight to the tube. And that's, that's um, a, a process that became known as 240p, where we had 480i, which is what the TV broadcasting were doing. This was doing a 240p right to the... We're basically hacking the tube and we're writing straight to the tube. And so you need an, an, an analog capture device that is... 240p compliant in order to be able to see this and i found one it's a big fat silver usb stick that i bought on ebay that just by dumb luck actually worked and so i was able to record all kinds of stuff old uh, atari 800s and atari 2600s and ColecoVisions and all these old systems that only had rf out including the coco i could capture with this little silver usb thumbstick because it just happened to have a specific type of tuning that recognized that form of signaling. But if you just bought a generic analog TV tuner capture device, you're not going to get the RF signaling because it's not a true TV signal. It's not in spec. You know, so there's a lot of this kind of stuff you discover uh, when you're trying to get displays to work or captures to work and kinds of stuff like that is just, you know, signals and tolerance and specs and, you know, one of the many Look joys of the hobby. All technical. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'm in a rage quit soon if that keeps up. Yeah, right. right yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> anyway, that was that was old school games and stories with old school. Channel. Yeah, and so yeah, we well, definitely we want to get in touch with you if you can jump on our Discord server so we can chat or we'll we'll bounce some messages back and forth if you're still out there. Our generic email is cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Definitely want to um, um, you know share some knowledge with you and um, like to have you come on and talk about your memories and stuff like that. Um, Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Um, well, how about we do this? Because we're coming up, we're, we're kind of out of show, and I had, I had a hard out today for some other prior commitments. How about we'll roll the outro, and then we'll have a few minutes of parting thoughts. 
Um, and good show. Thanks, everybody. We, it's, it's amazing. We actually can squeeze in a quality show in, in three hours, if, if you know, sometimes on purpose, sometimes on accident. But we got through it all. We even got through the Brian Weezer segment, although it was a short Brian Weezer segment. That's probably why. So, um, all right. So we're going to roll the outro. And then we'll be back for final. And thanks, Nick Murata has rejoined us. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for all you do on the Game On segment. And we'll be back after these words. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, Grant Leedy, James Diffendaffer, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Rondell Vole, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people! All right. Well, that concludes the show. We got an episode 211 is in the can. And, uh, you know, when we talk about the can, the toilet, whatever, you know, flush the can. It doesn't matter. I want to thank everybody Wait, for the being here. TV. This was the Mark episode, by the way. So we have Mark Mark Overholzer. Thank you for being here. Mark L. Curtis Boyle and Mark Brian Weasler. Mark Rondelvo. Mark Rick Eulin. Mark Nick Morota. Nick Morota. Nick Morota. Mark Mark Bosley. Mark John Lowry and Mark Alan Murphy. I've been Mark Stevie Stroh. Um, good times, good times. Oh, by the way, we need to plug the fact that we've been having a discussion. We're, we want to do a dragon talk. We want to do an official dragon theme show. So there's been some initial discussions in our Coco Talk lobby on Discord. There seems to be some interest already. There's a handful of dragon folk uh, like Karen and Ben VR Drakes and uh, Bamford's uh, Steve Bosco and a handful of guys um, that are uh, that are dragon folk that also watch our show. And we thank you for that. Although today we might have lost a few of you. Um, but we would love to do a dragon focused show with people who actually know the machine. 
So we we're gonna we're gonna be we're we're in the kind of initial discussion phase. There seems to be some interest. We're gonna move to the planning phase and scheduling and coordinating, and we'll look for an official dragon talk in maybe a month or two. Um, I would love to do that because I know enough to be dangerous. I know the machine exists. I know it's similar to a cocoa, but there are people who know it a lot better than we do. I'd love to hear firsthand from some of the more yeah. Um, and if we can get some of the people that are actually currently involved with the new dragon stuff, like some of these new video boards and sound boards and stuff that we've been showing on on the show yes. via YouTube videos, it'd be lovely to have them on to both discuss the project, maybe even do a quick demo of it type thing right. like in real life as opposed to you know just a canned YouTube video. Yeah, so we're going to be throwing out some uh, some uh, invitations in the Dragon Facebook group to trying to garner some interest and start um, her, um, kind of corralling and herding some of the folks together. We'll pick a time. We can, because the UK is five hours ahead of us, um, you know, for for them right now, when we start when we start our show at two o'clock Florida time, it's seven p.m. UK time, which is not the end of the world. It's not like it's midnight or anything. But if we need to bump the show down uh, sooner to make it more amenable to the folks in the UK, we're more than happy to do that. We'll plan, we'll coordinate, we'll schedule. Mark Overholzer is going to help us spearhead some of this, uh, drive this home. Yeah. Um, but I would certainly love that mm-hmm. because I I think the machine is cool, and I I, I I like seeing some of these games we've never seen before. I love that the machine is a close cousin to us and their community is just as strong as ours and I would love to hear firsthand from the folks who use this machine lived with this machine and are still working on this machine today I think there's a lot we can um, a lot of knowledge we can gain and share through this so I look yep. forward to and that and anybody else who's in Europe I mean we know some dragon owners that are in other countries too like Germany and France and in Italy and stuff too and if we can get all you guys on maybe there's a certain time that works best for the general European market of people here to have so if like stevie said if we have to ship the show an hour to any direction whatever makes it best we get the most people on and if we, if we can't awesome. do it live and maybe we need to pre-record some segments with certain people just because of their yeah. schedule conflicts we'll, we'll be more than willing to accommodate everyone who wants to help us weave this tapestry of dragon awesomeness that we want to start getting going here um so i think i got a, i got a question or a comment um <clears throat> you know in the um as the days go by, I, I love um, getting people on the Coco group on Facebook. You know, quite a lot of people come on. Some don't contribute, but they're probably lurking. And we do have uh, times when um, some of these people may get lost in some of the stuff that goes on. I was thinking um, maybe quarterly or maybe once a year or something, we should do a you know newbie show where we show yeah. – um, Everything common between the one, two, and three, and emulators, and so um, new people can get started right away in the cocoa, and that, that we have an archive and all that. Yeah, uh, beginner stuff. You know what uh, the joysticks look like. Uh, you know. Yeah, we have talked about doing that before. Actually, I think we've kind of we did one, one a while twice. ago. We did an episode yeah. called "Back to Cocoa" for somebody who's new to the cocoa. But no, this is a great yeah. idea. I think the the only challenge to see with these great ideas is that sometimes they're spoken and then we forget about them. So we've had a lot of great ideas of things we should do for the show. And we've mentioned it, and then this is hard to remember it all. So uh, if you could continue to remind us, Ron, and sometimes we kind of need to uh, assign a person to it. Like Game On has been successful because Nick Morota owns it, and he produces that for us. You know, So sometimes when we have these ideas, we almost need to have somebody run with it and make sure it gets done and doesn't just get forgotten. I'm not saying you need to do that in general, Ron, but I'm saying, yeah. not well, saying you specifically, but in general, we I should know. do that. Yeah. But I'm good with some of the, uh, like, um, you know, if you wanted me to do something on the graphics part or the, um, you know, 
uh, maybe printers or who knows what. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. E each person, if they had a little corner of uh, maybe even in programming and games and then, you know, just a general quick run through of, you know, this is what the Coco can do. What are you interested in? You know, you're, you're new here. Maybe uh, a lot of people work with other machines. Yeah. And they yeah. come here and thinking, you know, well, how much is this different? Right. Yep. Yeah. And that's a great and, idea. And the thing of doing this as a regular <clears throat> or semi-regular thing, too, is that there's new stuff coming out. So what might right. be a good beginner thing, you know, last year, there's something else that came out this year that's even better or is improved or something. So you want to be able to tell people and, you know, you, you have these other options now, too, like when the SDC first came out, for example. Right. No, it's a great idea. Um, and that's that's where we also have we have the Cocoa Talk lobby for you to throw those ideas out there. We've got another channel called News Topics and Suggestions. So if that's a suggestion for the show, throw it in there. That way we've got a kind of a written record for it, and hopefully we go back and and you know revisit some of those and, and reincorporate those. But a great idea, Ron Delvo. Certainly appreciate yeah. that and appreciate. I also you. want to add on the Dragon uh, episode too. Uh, I I don't want to not include the NTSC Dragon people, the people that have the dragons from Dragon Data in California. Yeah, screw them. It'd be good to get the perspectives of both the European side where it was born and where most of the development happened, but also the ones that were here in North America in 1983 when the dragon came out and then the people that bought it you know, for years afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I have one. I haven't even opened it up yet. I'm looking forward to also. doing an unboxing and discovering of that. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot I, we can learn I, about the dragon. I'd like to also add for the dragon people, don't be afraid. We're friendly people. You know, you just get in here. We're gonna be. We appreciate your hobby too, just like us. So come here and join us and be friendly. Get to know some people. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, final thoughts. Anyone? Anyone? Well, it would be good to do do both of those things there too, because normally, as you said, we we sometimes get a really good idea and we we kind of forget about it, don't enact on it, but we're really good at doing bad ideas. Like we just you know drag those out and, and do them as quick as we can. So, I mean, it's to switch it around a bit. I'm going to, as I mentioned that, I'm going to go ahead and type that up in the, um, trying to find it. There's Coco. There's too many damn channels on Discord. Okay. News, topic, and suggestions. Okay. So, Rondelvo reminds us to do a newbie show. Okay. I just threw it out there. All right, so I've thrown it in the news topic and suggestions channel, so we have a written record that at some point in time we should probably do that. Um, excellent. Well, thanks, everybody, and uh, we to our live audience. We appreciate you. Ken Reichert, Mark Bosley, Torsten's out there, uh, 8 Bits in the Basement, Explore VR, Ben Drakes, and Tom Gunn, and Kevin Holloway, and Dave and Sharon, which is Mr. Dave. Uh, Sixie Karen was out there today, and uh, so many people in the Mr. live Mr. Gimes did Mr. such a great job today. Pilot. Yeah, Rondovo approved Samuel Gimes, and so that that's, doesn't happen that, often. that's rare. That's great, Dave and Sharon. That's rarer than that poster Brian Weezer showed us. I think I know what his criteria are, though. Canadian retro he likes, things. He likes the non-singing ones. Yeah. Know, sorry, Stevie, go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, old school games and stories. A new Coco uh broadcaster that we've just discovered like to get to know more about you and follow your content obviously do some knowledge sharing with you if there's questions you have what we have to remember is when somebody's new there is so much going on that it can be information overload and it might be intimidating we might actually scare them away without meaning to so we kind of have to 
ease the throttle on the information that we give to somebody. Oh, there's a Coco ST, there's Coco VGA, and there's RGB mods, and there's composite mods, and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, whoa, hold on, my head just exploded. So there's so much that we kind of have to pace the knowledge sometimes so we don't overwhelm them and turn them off because it yeah, can that's be that daunting. Yeah, that's where episode would yeah. come in handy. And yeah. also join the Discord because you can take questions at your own pace there. And I mean, when we're, we've got a lot of news stories, sometimes we will have a lot of this new stuff that, you know, may be a bit overwhelming at first, but that's for some of us old hatters been around for, the, you know, active the last few years. Hey, um, how, how effective is the Mayu um, series for somebody new? Probably what? archaic, right? You're talking about the Christopher Mayhew series? The, uh, yeah. No, that's that's great. That's great. That'd be another place somebody could That's another, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely based on the hardware of the day of the early yeah. 80s. Yeah, it's but, very uh, period correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Kevin Holloway says, that sounds like David Ladd, right? RS-232, TTL, ESP, <laughs> DriveWire, right? So, uh, um, yeah, so th- there's a lot of things to learn about. There's a lot of people with a lot of knowledge who are happy to share that with you. We're all passionate and enthusiastic about it, and sometimes it can be daunting and overwhelming and even intimidating so um but just know there are people who are more than willing to help anyone learn what you need to learn i've learned a ton in the past five or six years i've been in the hobby um you know and i can i learn more every day that's what i love about it and there's always something new so it's not getting old or boring or you know repetitive it's just uh, you know the fact that we talk about news on a weekly basis for over an hour uh, you know, uh, so it's just, it's absolutely amazing. So I want to thank everybody on the panel, everybody who's watching us live. Yes, Ron and, Nova. Uh, uh, Paul Barton and Rick Adams need uh, your thoughts. Uh, Paul Barton's been in the hospital. He's not home yet. He, oh, okay. He, he needs prayer for some of you that pray. And yeah. um, Rick's in a different situation now, and, and he seems to be doing pretty good. But Yeah, yeah. All right. And also, I just want to mention uh, going on with the beginners theme, and we were planning on doing another beginners episode. Thanks to, to Ron's suggestion. Thank you, Ron. Uh, but I also want to mention, besides our Discord, where you can ask a lot of questions, you can also ask questions in the chat here during the show. And, and some people can answer stuff even if the hosts are busy. There's a lot of knowledgeable people that watch the show and are mm-hmm. in the chat. Um, we also have the Facebook Coco group, which is incredibly helpful. And there's a ton of people in there. There's, yeah. there's various podcasts, depending on what your interests are, uh, but you can also listen or watch. So there's, there's a lot of resources here then, and we'll, we'll follow whatever pace you want. And some to, people get a cocoa that's broke, and we, we can tell you places to send it to get it fixed. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Good times. That feeling of caring and sharing and community, it's all here. Kumbaya. Uh, kumbaya. All right. And the, and the only <laughs> broco is what Ken, it's not a cocoa. It's a broco when it's not working. <laughs> I got a broco too over here. I need, just, I need, I somebody, need somebody to fix my broco so it can become a cocoa. So <laughs> I get realize most cocos do work right out of the box. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, amazing. it's actually one of the more reliable machines from that yeah, time period. And, and that's one of the things that Karen was saying when I say I'm worried about the, the, the past, you know, what, when people people find us in the future there's going to be nothing digital or nothing you know no no permanent records and karen's like well the computers from today won't last 40 years anyway so you don't have to worry about that right so it's older no sad, but true <laughs> all right we're going to press the button thank you all the conversation continues on discord join our discord server discord.cocotalk.live where you can chat you can text chat you can voice chat you can ask questions you can shoot the breeze with fellow enthusiasts um and thank you all Say goodbye, everybody. See you next week. Bye, everybody.